So it's been a long October. Would you say so? Uh, exhaustingly long, indeed. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, we've aged quite a bit, <laughs> yeah. you know, just in this short time. So I, I thought that, you know, we'll just uh, loosen ourselves up. So uh, you want to try something for me? Sure. Okay, great. Welcome, everyone. It's Design Dork's Improv Comedy Hour. Oh, okay, here's no. the pitch. So you are going to rob a pizza hut. You have looked at every single entertainment and fast food place, and you know that this pizza hut has the exact number of money you need to make it through the month. And behind the counter is a sweet old man, beloved by his entire community, and you have to rob him of everything in that cash register so that you put as little chaos into the universe as possible. Go. Is the sweetest old man ever? So I'm told. Hello, Sonny. How are you doing? Oh, I remember when you were walking along the street playing the hopscotch. Such a good lad you are. (laughs) Oh, what's that? Oh, there's no need to hate, Sonny. What would you like at the Pizza Hut? You know you could get the Pizzone. I need exactly 64 cents to get through the rest of the month. Exactly 64 64 cents. Well, unfortunately, if I give you money, I'll be fired. Oh, and then my pension will be up. I'm just a few days from retirement, you see. (laughs) If anything bad happened today specifically, oh, that would just be the worst. I, I understand, good sir. Uh, could you please turn around for five seconds, please? Oh, why, of course. I'll count the number of seconds. I just in pocket my head. a dollar from the tip jar. One. And two. walk out. And then <laughs> from the door comes Funky Kong himself wearing a temporary <laughs> sheriff's badge. Yo, dudes, what's up? How you doing? It's me, Funky Kong, in the house. Oh, hello, Funky Kong. Why are you here? I just detected crime within the vicinity, my man. So what's up, criminal bro? I kind of just want to not talk and just let you talk between these two characters. Just building back. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to Design Dork's oh, Guide. I did not have the energy for that. I was not expecting that at all. You left me hanging. I'm sorry. I just woke up. You have like 30 more minutes before the coffee kicks in. That's okay, my man. You know where you can have coffee? Prison! What's up? Oh shit, I should've gone ages ago! See, there you go. That was the improv we needed. Oh, okay. I am Pierre Kong. And I am the Duke of Dorks, who is not taking theater classes. That's gonna be fun for you to edit. Oh, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, welcome to Design Dorks podcast where we talk about video games and other stuff and news yeah hope you've had a lovely october it's been a bit sleepy and overly stressful for us but you know what light's coming at the end of the tunnel year's almost over all the shit of the year surely it can't get worse oh don't no don't don't jinx it don't surely it. it can't get worse the alien invasion begins tomorrow now just because you've said that that's okay, dude. I know a pizza hut that they won't steal from. <laughs> Side there. Great. Solid plan. Anyway, shall we just get into it? Absolutely. Alrighty. First off, uh, K. Rule Watch. The 
has there been anything? There absolutely has not. <laughs> okay, well. This has been K. Rule Watch. So what games have you been playing? I, I have not been playing much. I, I, I don't want to talk about it here. There's, there's a community post on my channel that deals into details, but I haven't done much of anything this month. Apart from, well, work and uh, editing v videos. But the couple of things I did go to, um, first off, I kind of just needed some comfort food, so I just kind of poked at a few, uh, just a few Pokemon stuff. Which, uh, first off, I don't know why there is a jelly bean as the, uh, as a, like, mirror to Pikachu in the Yu-Gi-Oh! PokéDuel mod, but I love him. Oh, Jerry Beans Man? Yeah. yeah! I named him Jim. He is delightful. Hell yeah! That that has been such a such a delightful ROM hack. It, it really is true how much fun Pokemon is, just when you have no idea what the typings are, and just kind of having to science your way through battles. Yeah. Just the simple act of, like, I don't know what this evolves into. I don't know if it can evolve. This is exciting. Right? It, it's the most fun I've had with Pokemon in a in a very long time. Yeah. What what starter did you pick? Uh, I picked the the uh, uh the, oh gosh the Dark Magician one. Got it. Which it is so fun just starting off with a starter that can just confusion Psybeam just wipe everything it meets. You're just like yes. okay, I want to turn off my brain. Uh, also, something I've realized while playing this, like just having the fast forward option in an emulator, Pokemon mm -hmm. wastes. So much of your time doing things that just are nothing. Oh, I'm aware. I just never really I felt it at this point. I still stand by that the best version of Pokemon is Pokemon Stadium 2's Dodrio Tower, where it plays the game at four times speed. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. But yeah, that's been a delightful time. I, I still don't know any of the Yu-Gi-Oh stuff. It, are there, like, evolutions in the card game like that, or are they just kind of... Picking and choosing creatures that are kind of sort of related. Both. Okay, there are okay. some mechanics that work like that. There are others that are, like, related to certain cards. Like, obviously, fusion mechanics, they just have the base monster and then you do the fusion. And that's usually an evolution. There okay. are some monsters with leveling mechanics that work like that. The monster that they use in place of Eevee, Elemental Hero Neos, has contact fusion where he fuses with another monster and then zoots back to the deck so you can do it again. Oh, okay, okay. And then sometimes just Mystic Tomato evolves into Hungry Burger. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, you, you can see the, the logical through line there. Yeah. Uh, I'm only on, uh, uh, what's the boat called? St. Anne? Yeah, St. Anne. Yeah, I'm only that, that far on it, but it's been a delightful time. I think it's nice, nice. To chill with. Um, nice. I, what's your party, I have to ask? Uh, oh, gosh. Um... I've been swapping around a lot just because I'm like, oh, this looks neat. I'll put this in my party for a little bit. Right, um, there's so much stuff. There's so much. It's overwhelming. Uh, the, the Dark Magician starter, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've, got, uh, I've got Jim the Jerry Bean. Uh, let's see. Oh, oh. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm actually going to you know, open no, the it, emulator open. right now. Pop it open. Because I changed my team like six or seven times through this playthrough. Like, it didn't solidify until Cinnabar. I, I'm sure mine's not going to get solidified either for similar reasons. Also, something I didn't mention, but the fact that the victory theme is the opening theme from Yu-Gi-Oh! GX makes oh, yeah, me so great. happy. I laughed so hard hearing shitty MIDI trumpet version of Yu-Gi-Oh! GX opening. 
Okay, so uh, party is uh, Dark Magician. I have the Great Moth, the bug starter that keeps evolving. Yes. That's that's so great. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Jerry Bean. Um, and I have a water type alligator swordsman, I'm assuming. It's just an S. Oh, yeah, alligator sword. Uh, I've got a dinosaur-looking thing that's just U-R-A-B-Y. Oh, oh, you're Robbie, yeah. Oh, it's just you, Robbie? Okay, yeah. Yeah. And I, my favorite one so far, I have a, I found a, just the tiny little knight dude that you find in place of, like, Nidoran. Uh, is that Swordsman of Landstar or Little Wingard? Little Wingard, I think. It's revolved into a Rook Warrior. I need yes. a symbol, and he's just, he's my favorite. <laughs> oh, nice. But yeah, it's been a good time. I can't wait to keep going. Yeah. Just, uh, just a few other small Pokemon things. I really wanted to shiny hunt something. Just, I was feeling the urge to just wanted something to turn my brain off and just find something sparkly. Right. So, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokeduel does have shinies. It does have shinies? Oh, she should have told I me got that. To. That's gonna, that's gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna spend so much of my time on that. Oh, you, you just ground my progress to a halt. But that's okay. Um, so I actually, to my surprise, reinstalled Pokemon Sword and Shield. Because oh, it's the, okay. the only one I had. And it was like, okay. Uh, still an utterly soulless game. But even then, it still brought my heart joy when I found that little yellow Rookity. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations on your ability to play the slot machine. It, 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 it makes me happy to feel like I'm lucky. <laughs> Trust me, I'll get there. <laughs> Speaking of, um, I just wanted to give an update on the, the father Pokemon Go stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he started playing like two months ago, I think. Right. That, that was when we had the episode. He has found like 27 different shinies. Oh yeah, Pokemon Go is really easy to get shinies. Oh, no, it, it, even then, though, like I looked up the odds. Like it's not through like events or anything like that. It's just sheer raw luck of just like there's a 1 in 500 chance to get this. Oh, there, there it is right here. I, have, <sighs> I don't know if his like phone is cursed, but like He'll sometimes just hand me the phone while we're driving. I have literally found more shinies for him than I have for myself on my own phone. Okay, uh... In the two months that he's had it. <laughs> so the frustrating thing is I sit here and I have a lot of shinies on Pokemon Go, and not all of them from events, definitely not. I actually have a pretty competitive shiny muck. Nice. With really great stats and whatnot. That does not forgive my mother... Who has encountered Ho-Oh once, having a shiny Ho-Oh. <laughs> it's so stupid! Like, they're, all, they're, they're good shinies, too. Like, he's got a Ninetales, that's one of the best ones. He's got a Hitmonchan, oh, he's got a Shuppet. Fuck him! Giratina, Scizor. No, 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 fuck him! I want, I want shiny Bayonet. <laughs> I want that! That's a me thing! Oh, it, it has been profoundly... Profoundly frustrating. Yeah. Mr. Dorks, I apologize for my language toward you. <laughs> no worries. Ah. I, don't know. I don't know if he watches this. I, I highly doubt it. He doesn't have the time to do that. Uh, I, I at least did finally get my phone repaired to a point I can play it again. Mm -hmm. I've only found one shiny, but it was like within an hour of finding that, there was a little green Zubat. I named it Justice because there's still some of that in the world. Good. Okay, did I have any other small things? Oh, I uh, just wanted to quickly say, uh, Multiverses added Stripe from Gremlins. Right. Uh, just a fun character. Anytime you hit somebody with a melee attack, he can follow up with it with his neutral special, which is just shooting them with a gun. 
and that gun Good. will track them anywhere on the stage so long as he's just hit them. So it's an okay. automatic combo starter. I mean, co- oh, combo nice. con- um, continuation. Very nice. just fun. He can also pull out dynamite and eat it to explode and turn himself into a projectile. Like, you just down special, eat dynamite, and just hold the direction, and you turn yourself into the projectile to go in that direction. Why doesn't Wario have this move? Right? It would work so well! Just make it the WarioWare bomb, and then... Uh. And just one more small thing. Just just because I was, I was so curious. Just like, I knew it was going to be a mess, but I, I, I had to know after spending so much time with it, I just poked Overwatch 2, which, uh, first off, straight up could not get into the game for two days, because the queues uh-huh. were so bad. Um, spend that time looking up the horrendous pricing, and the fact that you can only, like, earn a skin's worth of the in-game currency every, like, six months? I think I did the math, and that's about what it re- adds up yeah, to. Yeah, that, that's what I heard. But then I actually finally got into the game, and it actively feels worse to play. What, you mean taking away options from a team-based shooter that is designed around having a perfect composition, but encouraging you to have a very specific composition and not have access to all of its pieces feels worse than the one that allows you to access all of its pieces? Sh- shockingly, yes. And th- that's not even talking about, like, lots of bugs. Bugs to the point they actually had to remove heroes from the game. I think they're still doing that right now. Oh, yeah. I, I saw that uh, May was removed because uh, the new hero has a bad interaction with her, but they can't remove the character in the battle pass. Oh, <laughs> uh, it, it's a disaster. But, like, I, I love playing Lucio. You know who Lucio is, right? The roller skates. Yeah. He heals people with yes. Fantastic character design. And just... I don't think it matters how much they could have buffed tanks in the game. You, you can give them all the tools in the world. The fact that you are splitting the defensive role was used to the, be for two people into one. One human cannot have the focus of two humans. That's that, It's just not possible. And that's caused the yeah. game to become significantly more snowballing and unbalanced. And it's, it's just... Blech. I'm it was designed sorry. for team play... First and I mean esports play first and foremost, which is a terrible thing to do for any game. And I just feel bad. Poor actors, poor developers, shit management. Wish I was yeah. surprised, but I'm not. Yep. Congrats to Pornhub, though. Divas top in the searches once again. <laughs> As your Zubat says, there is some justice in the world. Uh. Ooh, I got a couple thingies. So, like, you busy month, so I could only play a select few games, and a lot of them were like, okay, I have to motivate myself to play a game today. To start off with, it's Mr. Pants! Oh, I've been curious about this one since you were talking about it. Yeah, um, so the history of this game is fascinating, because this started life as a puzzle game for the GBA called Donkey Kong Coconut Crackers. And then Rare was bought out by Microsoft. So it could not be a Donkey Kong game anymore. And they shopped around a lot of ideas, Rare did, and what they came up with for the final design of this game was to have the mascot of their question and answers on their website, Mr. Pants, a stick figure of a man in a bowling hat and red underwear, be the star of this game. And it is just a shrill-voiced British man 
yelling at you every time that you move on the screen saying, It's Mr. Pants! My brain hurts! Oh no! It's easy mode! It is the most loud and obnoxious menu I have ever encountered. And I kind of love it. It is so perfectly rare. If you want the obscure character from a game that they essentially forced on THQ in a publishing deal going, okay, you can publish our banjo games for the GBA, but you also need to publish It's Mr. Pants. And they sold, like, ten copies to retailers just to get that minimum across the line. This is it. As a puzzle game, it is weird. You have four different colors of shapes, and you have them in various tetronimo shapes, and your objective is with a limited number of shapes, one by one, to make them into perfect squares so that they clear. And the interesting thing is you can go over other shapes with different colors in order to delete some of them. So say that you have like a little oblong piece that is red, you can cover that with blue to make it a perfect square with the rest of it. But then you also have to clear the blue that you set down. Oh... But you can't cover a piece with the same color, so it leads to a lot of really awkward situations. It's one of those interesting sort of shape-finding games like Picross, but clumsier and worse. It feels weird to play this game, like you have no idea what you're doing, and you're just kind of trial and erroring it. But then sometimes you will get on the game's exact wavelength, and you'll just put things down because you start to see shapes in your third eye, and then start to figure out how to put them together, and it works perfectly, and you feel like a genius despite the fact that you've only figured out basic pattern recognition that will go away in 30 seconds. It is a weird game. I played it for about an hour and had fun for about two minutes of that hour. (laughs) But those two minutes were really unique, and it's a game titled It's Mr. Pants. That is so definitely I can't the highest. Be mad point. at it. Can't yep. possibly be upset with that. But we gotta measure it. Is it better than Blue's Clues Alphabet Adventure? Ooh, it is on the line. Oh. Cause like, okay. is it a better designed game? Yes. Do I get joy from it because it's Steve saying I'm really smart? No. Mr. Pants is like the anti-Steve. <laughs> Because you fail and you go, oh no, it's a pentastrophe. Oh god, I don't know. I would hate this game. <laughs> it's awful. I will remember this character forever. <laughs> I'd say it's about even. I'd say I get about the same level of joy from both, and most of those are from voice lines. Okay, okay. Um, let's see. I went through the extra stages of Tropical Freeze after all that I ranted about it and unlocked hard mode. And guess what? Hard mode is better. You you don't care about the secret areas. They reposition the Kong letters to be more difficult to get. You can play as any Kong that you want with one hit point. And they actually change the feel of the characters. Like, it's so interesting that they change the jump sounds on Diddy because he is less weighty than Donkey Kong. So he feels, like, a lot floatier because he doesn't have the thud and he doesn't have... That sort of mechanical impact that Donkey Kong has when he jumps. And that doesn't actually change his flow, but it feels like it does. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's been really, really interesting for me. Doing the bosses with only one hit point, and the bosses are clearly designed for you to take a hit so that you can, like, learn the patterns properly. And, you know, they have healing mid-fight because of it. Mm -hmm. Doing them all in one shot is feels real, real good. And you start to learn how to d take shortcuts on those bosses and hit them early. So there's... There's really good stuff in here. It doesn't change my opinion of the game as drastically as Toughest and DKC3 did. I don't think it hits the landing quite as well, especially because you have to beat the full game in order to unlock hard mode. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, I had more fun, at least. Like, the game is good. It just keeps doing things that I don't like all the time. Is it still... But just take hard mode on its own. Does that still rank as your least favorite Donkey Kong Country game? Or does that, like, beat Returns? I think it would beat Returns. Okay. I think Returns has a lot of filler levels that I'm not too big of a fan of, but it does help the pacing having hard mode and having that tension. Nice. And then uh, I was I just went through, like, a period of four days this month where I was really depressive, really couldn't motivate myself to do anything, so I needed a pick-me-up. And that game, as always, was Crash Team Racing. And... God, I love that game. I just want to express to everyone, I love that game so much. Uh, I picked up the uh, PS1 original. I had gone heavy into Nitro Fueled, but I just wanted to play the original and feel, you know, is this as good as I remember? Yeah, it's still incredible. Still an amazing, amazing game. For 99, absolutely insane game. Uh, did the Entropy time trials to unlock him, which is getting really, really tight times in every time trial, and then beating his ghost on the same time trial. Gosh, that's nice. You have to actually use the game's deeper mechanics in order to get to him. You have to extend your turbos. You have to find shortcuts. You have to figure out, essentially, when to turbo, when to get a hang time turbo boost. I get to feel the slight differences in how uh, nitro-fueled and CTR regular works, because if you're in a pit in CTR regular, you just drop immediately, whereas uh, nitro-fueled lets you sort of glide across with your momentum for a little bit longer. So it changes the lines that you have to do in some cases, and I really enjoyed rediscovering that, especially in Engine Labs. And yeah, just like, if you haven't played Crash Team Racing, it's really good! Like, let me say outright, I don't really like Mario Kart anymore. It's not one of my favorite series, but one of my top ten games is a kart racer, and it's this one, because it's incredible. Nice. And it remains incredible. And then that would be the shorties I have, but uh, I did play two other games, and one of them, hell, one of them, was Yu-Gi-Oh! Forbidden Memories. That is... It's ringing a bell. I think I might have played this one? It, it It's a PS1 one, so... I think I might have played this one. It was oh, the yeah, big... Oh, yeah, I remember this! Yeah! This is the most brutal slot machine you will ever come across. It is a fascinatingly miserable game. I kind of love it. So... This was developed before the rules of Yu-Gi-Oh! were properly established, so it was almost entirely based on the manga. Field power boosts mattered a lot more, you could only summon one monster per turn, you could only play one magic card or trap card per turn, unless it's an equip card, and fusion rules barely matter, you can just sort of knock your cards into each other, 
as many as you have in your five-card hand and just sort of hope that they make a fusion. Like, oh, if you have a girl card and a beast card, they fuse into Nekogal number two every single time. It is so interesting because there is an optimal play in this game, and that is to fuse Twin-Headed Thunder Dragon, which requires either a dragon or a thunder that is over 1,600 attack and another dragon or thunder. And this gives you a 2,800 attack monster. And this is the strongest card you're probably going to get in regular play. As of the halfway point of the game... Duelists start using cards that are 3,000 and above. By the end of the game, your opponent will have not a single card that does not beat Twin-Headed Thunder Dragon. Every single one of their cards will beat over it. Oh. So you go, okay, what the hell do I do? And then you start grinding for equip cards. You start grinding for enemy clearing cards. You start grinding for traps that can destroy monsters on attack. And you start grinding for thunders and dragons so that you ignore the entirety of the rest of your deck and make it a turbo engine to summon as many twin-headed thunder dragons as humanly possible. The issue with this is that you get one card every single time you beat a duel. Oh no. (laughs) The odds of getting good cards are insanely, insanely low. The interesting thing about it is that there is a technical system and an aggressive system. If you are super aggressive and use as few cards as possible, you get a better card pool. And if you use almost all of your cards, tons of magics, tons of fusions, and manage to have your life points very low, if you make it as down to the wire as possible and use all of your resources, you get a card from the high technical pool. And these include cards like Megamorph, which increases your monster's attack by a thousand, which is insane for this game. Very good, yeah. So it comes into this grind of both trying to beat certain opponents as fast and as aggressively as possible, and then beat other opponents as slowly and agonizingly as possible. And then sometimes you're rewarded for that. And just reverse engineering all of the individual mechanics of this game just to have a chance to pull at a slot machine that, to be fair, you cannot lose this slot machine. Sometimes you'll get crap, but you won't ever bankrupt yourself. You always have the opportunity to pull the lever more. You don't run out of money or chances or stamina or whatever. This game will continue as long as you want to keep playing it. And if I think about it in the terms of it is gambling, but I cannot lose, and the more that I play, the better at gambling I get, (laughs) it is so interesting as a test of pure endurance and metal and trying to beat the bullshit at its own game. And I did it. You did? I defeated Yu-Gi-Oh! Forbidden Memories for the first time since my childhood and for the first time without a game shark. Congratulations! That's not- I got- How long? It's like, how many- how many times do you have to pull that lever, do you think? Oh my god, um, I did it while fast-forwarding, and it still took me like 20 hours. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, and how how fa- much does the fast-forward, like, speed things up? Um- What you're using? Do you know, like, the exact amount? I don't know, I would estimate, 
like times four. So like 80 hours. Th- thereabouts, which for a first run, and I didn't have Raigeki, I had Dark Hole in my original deck, which is significantly worse than Raigeki. But there was just a time where I was like, I could finish, but I could keep going for like the 0.62% chance that I will beat Joey and he will give me Meteor Black Dragon, which has 3,500 attack as just a playable card in my deck. But that's, I have to beat him with an A aggressive and I have to win the less than 0% chance of drawing it. And I kept going and I got regular Meteor Dragon, which is significantly weaker than Meteor Black Dragon. Oh. So then I kept going because he also has a chance of dropping Red Eyes Black Dragon, which fuses with Meteor Dragon to make Meteor Black Dragon, but it's only those two specific cards that do the fusion. And then he just drops Meteor Black Dragon, and I'm like, oh shit! (laughs) Actually, I wonder if I can pull up my emulator so I can see how many duels I had against specific opponents. Oh, I would love to know that. Yeah, let me, let me see. Uh, the- I remember going over to a friend's house to play this, and, like, I I knew nothing about Yu-Gi-Oh!, and I still really don't, but I remember, like, the the uh, the, the 3D models that they have just, like, the absurdly long animations around. Yes. Like, I'm sure those have aged so poorly, but those are the coolest things ever when I was six Oh, they have, old. but there are hundreds of those. All right, let's see. 12 wins against Villager 3. Okay. 34 wins against Rex Raptor. 40 wins and 18 losses against Pegasus. 24 wins and 5 losses against Ishizu. 9 wins and 6 losses against Kaiba. 55 wins and 0 losses against Joey. Ouch. Poor Joey. (laughs) 9 wins against High Mage Sekmaton. 73 wins against Meadow Mage. (laughs) And 3 wins against Labyrinth Mage. These are all of the... Optional duels that I did, non-story progression. I'm just having flashbacks to trying to find a single Monster Hunter drop and just seeing that number of Rathalos' hunted slowly climb and climb and climb. For the speedrun community, yes, I did get Trent, who has the same drop rate as Meteor Black Dragon, but is somehow even less available because it's only on one person instead of two. I was very happy, and he was in my final deck. Nice. This is such a bad game. I had so much fun. Those are always the best kinds. You just yeah. go back to it and like, yeah, this sucks. But I don't care. The Sonic Heroes soundtrack makes me happy. The soundtrack is so good. Right? Like, even in this game, the soundtrack is so good. Like, it is stupid how over the top this good this soundtrack is. Like, you better put in music from this soundtrack and oh, a- absolutely. for absolutely. the section and go, holy shit, this is actually really good. Like, the Kaiba theme? Huh. <sighs> And I have one more, but, like, you have one more, so you do your one more, oh, and yeah. I'll do my one more, and then uh, it's life. I'll grab mine. Uh, this was not a game I played this month, but there was the... I talked about this a few months ago, that Age of Empires 2 was having this colossal esports event at a literal castle. Yes. Called Red Bull Wololo. Wololo being the sound that monks make when they convert units. Okay, uh, so that's not a Pokemon. Got it. No, unfortunately, no. That'd be a great Pokemon, though. Oh my gosh, just some kind of little monk monster. Well, I'm just imagining Wooloo, but as a monk. No, yeah, that's that's the same thing. I'm just imagining it with a Pope hat. (laughs) It'd be great. But, like, 
hilariously high production value, first of all. Like, everyone's dressed like they're in the medieval ages. People are actually drafting their civilizations over an actual world map. It's so great. But I wanted to take this time to gush about, like, actually watching competitive Age of Empires 2. Why it's an esport that survived the test of time. Alrighty. Real-time strategy gameplay boils down to two major factors, uh, macro and micro. Macro being how well you can manage your overall bases and economy, while micro is how well you control individual units to dodge attacks, raid enemies, that sort of thing. Right. Most successful competitive games of this genre blend those two aspects together to force, like, really good players to master balancing both elements. StarCraft 2 is a good example of that. It's an insane showcase of, like, how good people can get. It's, like, you'll see people individually split apart seven different units in three separate places at the same time while expanding to three other bases, and it's just an insane showcase of mental prowess. Yep, I cannot do micro whatsoever. I I can do it if I'm focusing on, like, five things and nothing else. Like, if 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 my screen, it's what I'm focusing on, but my, my base is forgotten when I'm trying to do it. Oh no, my entire experience is just focusing too hard on Jobs done, more work. Jobs done, more work. Yes, me lord. Look to lugar. That's not that's not the same, but whatever. No, that that's the orcs, but I I know it is. <laughs> Age of Empires, though, is kinda different from the usual fare. Uh early game, it's a, a lot of the same balance. This is a game where you can dodge archer fire by making your units change direction, or same with catapult fire, but you can have the catapult fire at a specific point on the ground rather than at a unit, right. which creates like these insanely tense moments where both players are trying to read what the other is trying to do, which is mm-hmm. really difficult to do. But as the game goes on, it becomes next to impossible for even the highest leveled players to micro effectively on a grand scale. Uh, there's multiple reasons for this. Every unit in Age of Empires 2 costs one population space, so you will easily have 200 units at once in the late game, and the right. game is balanced around half of those being devoted to your economy, which causes you to have an insane amount of resources to let you rebuild vi- units very quickly. Uh, buildings also have more health than the average RTS, requiring players to siege them down, which for things like giant castles or large amounts of production buildings causes battles to last for a very long time in a single area. And then on top of all that, the maps in the game are much larger and harder to reverse than other games like it. You don't have, like, like flying dropships in StarCraft or the, the naval transports of WarCraft that get you run quickly. So armies don't, um, reposition very quickly. But you have to have a wide net around the map because there's important resources scattered all over the place. This all meshes together to turn late-game high-level Age of Empires into a macro slugfest. Giant armies pushing each other back and forth on multiple fronts as both players try to balance out where they should be rallying the reinforcements they are creating. If you see a flank that's undefended, you can send some cavalry through to raid your opponent's farms. But if you send those troops there instead of the main battle, you might lose, ge- lose ground and allow your opponent to claim some, some valuable gold with a mighty castle that'll take ages to siege down. And even if you manage to successfully kill off a large chunk of villagers, that population space will immediately be filled by a larger army, which will outnumber yours as half your population is an economy. As your enemy starts flooding the battlefield with speed-wielding cavalry counters, you have to start quickly churning out a way to deal with them as your horsemen are now useless. There can easily be like like a dozen or two dozen production buildings running at a time in the late stages of the game, and oftentimes the best you can ask of even the highest level players to micro all of that is to just choose to rally where those troops will be sent and immediately move on to, like, okay, where am I sending the next batch? Where am I sending the next batch? 
Damn, that is late stage capitalism. <laughs> it kind of is. Like it it kind of emulates like how like an actual medieval war would be fought. And it's so cool to see in motion. Just like to see the mini map and just see blobs of red and blue and yellow just kind of move around the map as like you can't ever focus in one particular area. But like it's so fascinating to see players that how, how do I put this? It, it's the kind of competitive showcase where it's physically impossible by a wide margin to play it perfectly. So it's right. extremely engaging to see how players try to do their best to optimize the situation they are provided. Where do you give up? Where do you focus on? Which units do you try to save and which are sacrificed to hold the line? And, like, it, it's, it's such a cool push and pull because, like, people can have wildly different strategies and still be incredibly effective. Some will, like, really focus on, like, okay, we're going to have a ball of cavalry archers and just run circles around armies that are ten times our size. Or we're going to ignore this entirely and just throw cheap trash onto the fields over and over and over again and just expand endlessly. And then combine all that with what I would argue is some of the best, like, casters in any esports scene. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd I, I highly recommend that people watching this at least watch one match of the recent Red Bull Wololo. Um, uh, I think Viper vs. Kingston was put on there. Um their YouTube channel. It's excellent. It's insanely well-produced. Insanely? Insanely. I tried to say extremely and insanely at the same time there. It did not come out right. Just beautifully high skill ceiling. It's just fun to watch people play a medieval strategy game in a real castle. That, that just brings my heart joy in a way that few things can. Yeah, just thematically, that sounds like just an absolute slam dunk and just try and think of other esports scenes that elevate that sort of material in the same way um but you, you know you obviously fighting stuff- games in like a ring like a wrestling ring but that's like the most i can think of right now like, i can see that and just like street fighter 6 elevating commentators right now which is actually funny they're currently data mining um new mechanics for street fighter 6 based on mining out commentators um calls <laughs> for him that's amazing and going like, oh, what does this mean? Oh, does that mean Zangief has an anti-air grab now? Uh, I, I feel like that commentary thing is going to get so old very quickly, but I love that they're doing it so much. Well, there's a bunch of commentators, so. Yeah, yeah. And you can always just not. True, true. But yeah, Age of Empires 2, great high-level game. Highly recommend watching. Someday I will get into it and not just hear you talk about it. Uh, don't feel pressured. It is a it, it, RTSs are very long. Like it's just a huge time sink. Yeah, I believe it. I've been there. I know. They took it away from me. Oh, oh, why? Why'd you have to remind? No. <laughs> the scar hurts every time. You know, like that big scar across Sagat's chest. Every time that you talk about this, I just massage my chest a little bit, feeling the sting. Uh, rest in peace feeling what has been lost i'll never be able to go back to winter mall yes someday like you get a community recreate the whole thing it'll return eventually but it's it's not coming from blizzard reforged was a disaster haha yes you know what game is occasionally a disaster but is not generally i i love that this is how you're choosing to introduce it (laughs) it's xenoblade chronicles 3 baby (laughs) It's here! Oh! So, let me give full disclosure. This is a good game. I am probably the worst kind of person to play it, 
Because I've put in a solid 20, 25 hours. I'm still in chapter three. Oh, are you just like trying to find every, like, you see that exclamation part? Mark over somebody's head and you have to do it. Is that no, kind of thing? I see that part of the map isn't filled out and there might be oh, rarer drops over there. And I'm okay. like, I want to walk over there. And I see that there is a boss that is somewhat in my level range, but has whooped me. I don't care about you, brown nose Tracy. I'm going to keep beating you until I win. I don't care that I haven't unlocked chain attacks yet, and that would make it much easier. I'm going to keep going at you until I win and waste three hours just trying to beat this boss that I didn't need to waste the time for. It wouldn't be recommended to waste the time for. I get nothing to do it, but I'm going to figure it out oh that's wonderful and then of course this game has an incredible job system wherein all of your characters have a starting class and then eventually they're able to learn each other's classes as they fight with them for longer and then eventually you meet hero units that join you as guest party members and as you fulfill the hero party members quests one of your characters unlocks the ability to be their class. And then as you play as that character in that class, your other characters start to slowly unlock the ability to play that same class. That, that, that sounds like such a satisfying, like, bravely default system. It is. And it makes me do everything and completely ignore the main story for hours and hours on end because Noah still has to finish his tactician class but he's the only one that can learn this cool double-bladed fencer class, so I have to keep grinding on worthlessness so that he can finish his tactician class, which levels up slower than other classes because it's a healing class, and that fulfills its job a lot less often than the attacking version's class of just attack, or the defender class's version of just accumulate aggro. Yeah, yeah, that that's Xenoblade. That that sounds that sounds right. Oh, you, you yeah. would love and hate X so much. Probably. That's, that is just what that game is. So, like, am I enjoying myself? Not really. Do I feel absolutely content while playing? Yes. This is a game of very, very strong contentment, and the world is incredibly, incredibly interesting. I wish I gave a shit about any character. Oh, no. Because, no, let me preface this. All of the characters are good. Okay, okay, okay. You scared me for a second there. None of the characters are more than good. Like, I like their rapport, but it's... Okay, I know this happens in Xenoblade Chronicles 1, but, like, every main character talks like they're in an anime, and their responses is, yes, I understand your point. However, I hate killing. Killing is a bad thing. I think that we can find another way. And this is 90% of their conversation. Just like that very stilted anime, I am my ideal and very little more, and these occasional personality traits. And they mask it with British and Scottish accents so that it sounds more unique. Except for this one girl who I think is foreign because she has an American accent. Interesting. I, where did that come from? It's so weird world. because everyone else has either elevated English or sort of the Irish, Scottish. I am not a good enough linguist to determine exactly what region it, of the, the UK you're from. I think it's Welsh. That's the major one. Yes, in I, I think you're right. Yeah. And then Senna is just here like, oh, yeah, I'm from anime. 
<laughs> That's my personality. Yeah. Mimi, you're so cool. Thanks so much, Senna. So then it's just that and a very stilted, very dry, very proper delivery, but with accents sometimes. And then you have your metal face equivalents and they're just acting like they're from theater. One literally goes, oh, yeah, I'm the big bad boss. Boo. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so you know what acting is. You just choose not to use it. It is like the most jarring vocal performances I've ever heard that are delivered well. Don't don't take this as me ragging on the vocal delivery. It is great. It is just such an interesting direction. And I know it's like only Xenoblade really does it. And it's weird. And I like it, but it's weird. Yeah, the, the, the voice acting in those games, like, I, I wonder if they just give the villains, like, free reign to just do whatever they want to do. Just like, hey, you are evil, have fun. Because, like, the vast majority of them, even in 2, and I have a lot of problems with the voice direction in 2, like, they're so uh, charismatic. It's just they're like, from you're the a completely guy, different so world of acting than everyone else in the game. It's like everyone else is from a heartfelt but odd, slightly foreign, mid-2000s anime dub. And then the other voice actors are from now. The consoles are just voice actors from now who have watched YouTube. I don't know if this is... The thing that's holding me back from Xenoblade 3 the most is this. I've looked up a couple of cutscenes of it and just the voice direction is just... It's, it's fine. I'm trying to think I, maybe I should just check out some of those villains. Oh yeah, no, instead. looking up any of the consoles, just insert console and your favorite letter of the alphabet. <laughs> okay. And you'll probably get a really nice vocal performance that's weird. I think I think the first one is K, maybe I'm forgetting that, but like, I don't know, I know I fought K and B, and I think one other, but I forgot his letter. I think it, it, Z it is going to be so the much. villain. That it's, it's, it's just the alphabet, you're, you're, you're just fighting the alphabet in that game. Yes. The story is interesting. I am 90% confident that an NPC I have seen once is a main character from Xenoblade 2. I, I know there's at least one for sure that I know is in the game. She was in the trailers. I am very confident that that character is this character that I have seen only a couple of times in my life. And never in the context of the actual game. This will be fascinating. Just seeing how you react to just different characters and personalities going through. Because I know there's one from one as well. They were both in the initial trailer. Oh! Oh, that's probably that other character. Yep, yep. Yeah, that makes sense. I get well, it. Well, once you're done with the game, I want you to just try to, like, reconstruct what you think their stories are. Just solely from what's in Xenoblade 3. I'm going to assume some level of racism for both. Uh... Or at least you heavy know, prejudice. You, no, no, you no, yeah, that's 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 actually spot on. Hold on. Well, I, I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it. Like it, it's so odd. Like I rarely feel like I'm ever having fun in those games. Mm -hmm. Like actual like enjoyment of like yeah, th uh, this game is engaging me on a, like a really good level. That that's just not what these games are. But they're so they're they're comfy. Yeah. I have to say, it does a really great job of slowly rolling out mechanics to you. Because you start with, like, absolutely nothing. But if it gave me everything on the front end, I would have bounced off of it instantly. Just going, okay, what do I do? How do I go into the chain attack? And then the Ouroboros system, and then I have to change my character? 
But the way that it slowly doles things out, where it just locks you into one, and then slowly unlocks, okay, here are chain attacks. Here you can switch mid-battle if you want to different characters. Uh, we have finally unlocked the Ouroboros system so that you can fusion ha two characters into one, and they're a super character, but then you lose those two roles being active on the field right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. I get it. I feel good learning more things as more things stack on to me. It's a very, very smartly constructed game. But, it, like, my favorite character in it is Uni, because I swapped to her once to be the party leader, and she said, yes, Uni's the boss. <laughs> and that made me incredibly happy to hear her delivery like that. And that's the most I can say about any character other than you sure are whatever archetype you are and are voiced relatively well. Yeah, especially in the early stages of the Xenoblood games, uh, with the exception of one, because I feel like one had a fairly impactful moment that really got you invested early on. Yes, I know that moment. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just kind of... They start with the anime filler episodes. And well, no, this, this does throw you directly into it, because, like, the first thing in Xenoblade 3 is, like, it's war. You are in war. Survive, or you will die, and kill as many people as you can to steal their life energy like a sucky vampire. I, I'm talking more, like, um, just how the characters interact with each other. Like, they'll... It, it, it kind of... Okay, yeah, this. you're you're right. There's, like, familiarity and basic back and forth. Yeah. Uh, God, what, what else do I say about it? Um, Do you still think it's ugly? Have you seen more environments yet? I've seen more environments. It is much less ugly. There are still okay. times where I'm like, oh, you're, you're reusing this texture quite a bit. But it does... The natural architecture and layout of the world is really nicely thought out. Like, just the way that canyons curve over each other and give you places to explore is really nice. When I'm trying to jump up rocks that I probably shouldn't be jumping up, but hell, I think I can get up there if I hit these exact pieces of geometry. That's pretty <laughs> ugly, but that's my bad. Oh, that, 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 is, that is so much of Xenoblade exploration in a nutshell. Just trying to jump at the precise right angle. Just be like, okay, I'm, I'm sure I can platform up this. I'm sure I can platform up this. I appreciate the worthless fall damage that immediately you start regenning from. Uh, it does, it exponentially increases the more you fall. Oh, I know. So it's it's either fall or death. Yes. That I have determined. I have never deathed, but I have seen opportunities where I could death. Ah, okay, okay. But yeah, I'm going to continue playing this. It's just a nice thing to either go to bed to or wake up to. Nice. I want to finish this game unless it does something really bad. I mean, like, it's going to be a constant happy feedback loop, so. Do I think it's ever going to be a favorite game? Unless it does something absolutely bonkers with its story, I don't think so. But I'm thinking it's starting to ship two characters really hard, and things that get me are good relationships, so. I'm almost certain that, like, just how the... Just from how the Ouroboros thing works, that all three, all the, the entire main cast is supposed to be. Like, okay, pair these two, pair these two, pair these two. I hope that it's just the first couple that is going to get it, and the other two are, like, close, but not totally. I really hope that they just focus on one of them, and not all three. It would dilute it for me if it were all three. Okay. But if you give me one really good love story like Final Fantasy X or what should happen in Persona 4, man. Nice. 
eventually I will get around to that game. Yeah, I like, feel I, that I, with I, a I've lot heard, of games. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like there's more... At, the, at this point in my life, there's more games like that than games I've actually finished. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that is video games. Um, what's the next section? Uh, oh, gosh. My Future Sight! Future, Future Sight! There we go. <laughs> future Sight! Here is where we talk about the news and then talk about the future. And then we see things. Ooh. Persona 3 Portable and Persona 4 Golden release January 19th, 2023 for modern platforms. Uh, both the same day? Yeah, both of them. Same oh, day. nice. That... I don't know if I actually agree with that decision. I, f I feel like that kind of just makes it harder for people to pick up both, because they're both, like, 100-hour games. Yeah. But you have to think that, like, this is mostly for the Switch crowd. True. Because true. Golden is already out on PC. So it's yeah. for Switch and for will it get added to Game Pass? This is really only a problem for the Switch players. It's really just Persona 3 portable for everybody else. Yeah. Which is nice. I'm glad I'll be able to get the chance to play that. Yeah, that's a great game. Play the female route. Yep, I remember. I remember. Yep. I am reinforcing that every time it comes up. Just like her personality is so much better. Like there's a specific interaction where it's like, oh, wow, you went on vacation with Mitsuru to a beach. Did you get pictures? And the male response is yes or no. And the female response is no or 1,000 yen for a picture. <laughs> Just a much better character. And like actual confidants with everybody, right? Yes, actual confidants with your uh, party instead of just the women. That's so weird. There can, there can be no friendship, only romance. Makoto Yuki, only the incel social links. I will only, <laughs> I can only be friends with the women that I live with. Any male affection will show weakness. I don't know what this characterization I'm giving him is. I, I, I don't he has either. depression. I shouldn't. Hardly. Um, so Amsa, a Yoshi player, won a Super Smash Brothers Melee Super Major. Yeah, I, I, I got that news from you putting this on the docket. I popped off. I, I, I've wanted him to win for so long. Yes. Uh, he is the first Yoshi player to ever win a major Melee tournament in the game's 21 years of release. And this is before any solo Sheik main. Wow. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I guess that just proves Yoshi's a better character in that game than Sheik. Yeah, obviously. But no, it's just, he is Yoshi in that game, and just seeing him elevate this character slowly through years and always getting a taste of it, just, ugh. There's so much life in Melee. Absolutely. Like, it's not even just like, oh yeah, it's a good game and wave dashing. No, the meta has developed. We've seen Fox go from the dominant favorite to yeah, he's there, but Marth is also here to having about the same level of representation to there is hungry box and everything else to now this more balanced era that we have now like there's a story to the competitive and the fact that we have so many smash games that usually end with these are the two dominant characters and now we move on yeah yeah that's accurate it's so fun to see a game continue to evolve and continue to have a lifeblood and to continue to have stories and yo yoshi yeah this is the most exciting Yoshi will ever be in Smash. I, I hate how right that is. But I, I, I love watching Amsa play so much. Just the, the sheer mastery he has over both just tossing the eggs over like into the exact precise locations. Like he, 
he can try to see the future and see exactly where his opponent's going to be. Yes. And knows exactly when to do the flutter jump to armor through it. And it's just like, dude's genius. And an absolute sweetheart. Like, every time I see him happy that he's won, like, my, my heart grows three sizes. Yeah. It's nice to have a feel-good story from Smash for once. Yeah. Uh, speaking of feeling and good, Splatoon 3 has accounted for 69% of all physical games sold in Japan during September. <laughs> that blows my mind. That's not Switch games. That is That's video old. games. 69%. You don't get nicer than that. I'm, I'm just kind of blown away. Like, like I, the, the fact that it does this better than just Pokemon... In Japan, it's it's just I I can't wrap my head around that. Would like just imagine if like Pokemon crossed with Call of Duty here? I I don't feel like that would even do as well. Too many people would be like, oh, Pokemon that's for kids. Ugh, no, and there's too much of a of a divide culturally for I, I just just the fact that so many different people can come together and just pinpoint diverge on this single game is just like that never happens. Okay, fine, fine. Call of Duty and Batman. That, okay, there you go. There you go. That might be the American version of Splatoon 3. <laughs> the ultimate nice. Well done, Japan. Yes. Uh, I have a note here that says Duke talks more about Age of Empires. Yay! Yeah, because at that tournament, they showed off a couple other cool stuff. Age of Empires 2 getting, I think, another DLC? It was really weird. So the way the Age games are laid out is that they're kind of built into, like, segments of history. The first one was, like, really ancient times, Egypt, uh, 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 Rome, just that kind of time period, Bronze Age stuff. Right. Uh, Two is medieval, three is, like, colonial times. What they announced was... They they worded it as being able to play the first game in the second game's engine, but it's being advertised as, like, an expansion to the second game. They also may have announced it accidentally, I'm not quite sure there, but... Okay. I don't know what that means. Like, am am I going to be able to play just the first game, but, like, with pathing that works? Or is this, like, bringing in, like, you can fight Genghis Khan as the ancient Egyptians? I don't know, but it's neat. It it means that now you can play in Age of Empires 1 as Knuckles. Oh, nice! Yeah. You know what? I I wouldn't put it past them. There's some weird cheat codes in those games. (laughs) (laughs) That, That is on the table, I think. There's I one just want three. Knuckles modes for every game. There's one in three that is just a, like a bust of like George Washington's head, like just a stone bust, and it hops around and smashes its head into buildings, and it just destroys everything. <laughs> so good. But the main thing I want to talk about, just just the apple of my eye here, I have wanted Age of Mythology to be remastered in the same way the other games have for so long. It is such a solid game. It was hugely just like... It pioneered a lot of the ways that, like, RTSs would move forward mm-hmm. in, like, terms of, like, physics and ragdoll effects and all that kind of stuff. You'd have a Cyclops pick up a guy and actually throw him through trees. It was so cool. Right. And it's finally, finally, last one to the list, but save the best for last, getting a remaster in per- terms of Age of Mythology Retold. Ooh. It has me so excited because it's not quite definitive edition. It looks like they're trying to change things up. I think they want to, um... The, the original one was very character caricaturized of those mythologies. I think they want to try to be more, like, accurate to them, mm-hmm. is kind of what I've heard. But, like, the, the potential that that has, potential of, like, bringing in different civilizations, like, I'd love to see, like, an Aztec 
mythology brought into it, or if they had the balls to like an, an Abrahamic version. Like, I want, I want to beat people with an opening so badly. That'd be so cool. <laughs> oh, God. Just, just imagine like Medusa versus opening. That'd be so cool. No, you're right. You're right. But yeah, but but before this was announced, it was like top five, probably the most wanted remake of just video games in general. Mm-hmm. And now it exists, and I am very happy. Delightful. Lost Media found the Kingdom Hearts 2003 animated series animatic was shared by its director. Uh, it's since been taken down by Disney, but nothing that has been posted on the internet can ever truly die. I did not even know that there was a cartoon, like, in the works for this series. So that was fascinating to see. Yeah, no no one did. This was just knew that it existed. Oh! This was just on his resume, and he decided, you know what? I worked really hard on this. I'm gonna let the world see. I, I fear for his NDA, but also good for him. Oh, absolutely. But, like, of everything, like, yeah, this does... A far more concise job of summarizing Kingdom Hearts' plot than any actual game material. You get the whole concept of Destiny Islands and whatnot within the first two minutes of the episode. And then the rest of it is Sora, Donald, and Goofy having an adventure in Agrabah. Nice! In those you know, 30 <laughs> seconds she appears, Kyrie has more personality here than in the entire series. I mean, that's not difficult to do. Let's be I'm fair. aware, but it happened. You know, that might be the reason they didn't release it. It would have made the plot too too approachable for the general audiences. Yeah. And just Nomura was like, no, they must they must work to understand this. <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's just fun. It's nice seeing all these Disney characters appear. There's like a fifteen second cameo with Jonathan Freeman as Jafar, and he just gets yeeted out of a castle by Maleficent. That's fun. Yeah. Is the writing above Disney afternoon schlock? No, it's not. It's exactly what you think it is. It is at the level of Aladdin the Animated Series or Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. Mm -hmm. But I like those. They're fun and dumb kids cartoons. And this is a fun and dumb kids cartoon that is able to have, you know, heart and Goofy. Goofy is there. Uh, You really could have just led and ended with that. Yeah, Bill Farmer, he goes, and I'm Goofy. And then Riku looks at him and responds, you sure are. (laughs) I like cartoons made for children. They are fun and cute, and I like seeing how people adapt larger works into them. I would agree. Yep. Um, I have a note about Wild Hearts. That was an interesting game that was shown off. Um, EA is trying their hands at a Monster Hunter-like game. Mm -hmm. Um. It seems like, picture like Japanese Monster Hunter, kind of Sekiro in a Monster Hunter kind of gameplay setting, and you've basically got like the game in your mind's eye. Okay, so Neo, but like more Monster Hunter, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, does a really cool thing though, where like you can like almost place buildings, like, I, I hate to compare it to Fortnite, but it's the only thing I can really compare it to. Like you can set a little contraption on the ground and like build a tower upwards, which you can then climb to like get a jumping attack from above on a monster. Or launch off with this like really crazy like propeller thing to fly overhead with it. It's a it's a very odd mesh of like the classic like wooden Japanese architecture, but created in a way that's very high tech. It, it, it's a fun aesthetic. I'm enjoying it. I don't know if I'll actually play it that much, but it's got my attention. I have always wished to gentrify the Rathian domain, so this is fulfilling a good <laughs> fantasy. 
I am a bit bummed that they chose to do a Monster Hunter style game, but they chose Japan again. Like, there's so many other places you could do that with. There is Europe and there is Japan. You will pick one. No, sometimes so both. Things. But yeah, looks neat. Nice. Would like to play. Uh, also neat, new Crash Bandicoot multiplayer game teased for Game Awards via pizza. Ah, uh, how? Uh, so they work. are sending out pizza boxes advertising Crash Bandicoot Wumpa League. And it is okay. saying that if you would like more pizza, you may go and check out our pizza, which costs twelve forty six and twelve oh eight. And twelve oh eight is the date of the game awards. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh Wumpa League, does is that like that sounds kind of fighting game ish? Yeah, it's I think it's like a multiplayer brawler. It might be like, I don't know, Rumbleverse or something. I I, I don't have any other details other than Crash Bandicoot Pizza. It's going to be a competitive pizza-baking fighting game. That sounds right. But hey, cool. Yeah. The brand continues. Yeah. And this way you have something to order when you steal that 63 cents from the grandpa that you mugged. It was 64. It was very important 64. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. That's all I need to get. I'm sorry. It's one cent away. I'm sorry. I'll I'll, I'll funky reimburse you the penny. (laughs) All right. And then we have... Bayonetta 3 and its voice acting. Oh, God. How far have you followed this story? Uh, tertiarily, I try to stay off of Twitter and just any Twitter-adjacent news as much as humanly possible. I find it drastically increases the quality of life. That is entirely fair and accurate. I've seen enough news stories. I saw the initial one. I saw the... I saw... Kamiya's childish response. I saw the actual, like, reporting on it. it. It's a mess. Yeah, so here is uh, going off of mostly memory for me, and I've done a, I've linked a post to summarizes it as of October 21st for you mm-hmm. as well. So as was reported, uh, Helena Taylor, voice actress of Bayonetta for Bayonetta 1, 2, and voice clips reused for the Super Smash Brothers games stated that she was offered $4,000 to voice Bayonetta in Bayonetta 3, and that she found this was an insult and had broken NDA and asked for people to boycott the game. She said this was after negotiations with Hideki Kamiya, director of Bayonetta 3. That 4000 was the new figure that they were giving her after an initial figure that was presumably lower. Mm -hmm. This is coming in a time where voice actors are horribly mistreated, the recasting of a lot of Mob Psycho 100's cast in order to avoid union contracts, Uh, the Jujutsu Kaisen movie having actors paid $150 total for a film that made millions. Which is ridiculous, obviously. Yes. So it is very, very easy to see this as, oh, people are getting screwed over. And she's using language such as, I can barely afford rent. I don't care if I'm breaking NDA. What will they take? My clothes? I can barely afford to run my car. And that's incredibly sympathetic, especially in this environment. Mm. Very easy to rally behind. I wanted to rally behind this. I wanted to signal boost this. 
I know how hard it is to be a voice actor and to get to the level of voicing a character like Bayonetta and still being treated awfully. Like, that's the reality of the industry, and it needs to change. Uh, this was further reflected by Hideki Kamiya responding in the Hideki Kamiya way, which was, Lies, beware my rules. His rules being, if you speak to me in English, you are banned. This led to him blocking so many accounts that Twitter automatically suspended his account and temporarily deleted it because they thought it was a bot and he was being hacked. I'm honestly surprised that hasn't happened multiple times in the past. <laughs> yes. Him. Now, to go into Kamiya's background, all accounts, he is a very soft-spoken man in one-on-one, -on -one, very self-reflective and whatnot. Probably the worst person in the world to have on Twitter, because his response to why don't you just get off the platform is because then they would win. Uh, he, he Just not great social media presence. That's not, not the healthy. attitude you can have with Twitter, really. So you have something that is very, very clearly drawn in the sand. This person is really, really bad handling it terribly. And then you have the poor underpaid voice actress of an iconic role who is suffering and breaking NDA, getting legal action definitely thrown in her face in the future in order to tell this story. Mm -hmm. That would be great if there wasn't two problems. One. Video game boycotts never work. Correct. There has never been a single one that has worked, and in fact, due to the events of this, Bayonetta 3 became the most pre-ordered game on Amazon. It's just free publicity. Yep. Just gets into the news. Yep. Uh, second is that it is not just likely, it is definite that Helena Taylor was lying. Which blows my... She didn't need to. The I know. The original sum was still, like... So, to, to my memory, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I've heard the story told to me, like, five times. Um, that 4,000 figure was closer to in between 3,000 and 5,000 per session, and having four to five sessions. Yeah, which tolls out to something more like uh, fifteen to 20,000. Yes. Which, you know, you could argue, yeah, they should be paid more for a role as large as Bayonetta, if you'd like. On the other hand, Bayonetta is not as large as was reported, because she said it was something like a $450 million franchise. Mm -hmm. Which is true if you add the total of all physical sales of Bayonetta that is on VG charts and Bayonetta 2, and multiply it by 60. Yeah, that's a very literal way... If you I'm consider to... any discount, and the fact that one of those games was on the Wii U exclusively, <laughs> then no. Oh, Boost, because she was in Anarchy Reigns, of course. That pushed copies of that game. And then the other, only other thing to take from that would be the appearance in Smash Brothers and not being paid residuals. Which is, I, I, I saw like a, a side story kind of in all this, uh, the voice actor for Rivali. Yes kind of spoke out about this, saying that he had like, just the smallest of cameo, like two voice lines in the movie of um, Detective Pikachu, mm -hmm. literally made more money off of those two voice lines than the entirety of his role as Rivali in general. Like, going through like both Breath of the Wild, the um, Hyrule Warriors games, easily dwarfed it for a small cameo, which is just kind of absurd. 
Yeah. But at the same time, like, I- I've always had a hard time, like, arguing, like, wh- how much voice actors specifically should be paid because it's not a very, it is a very demanding job, but you don't work it very often. Mm-hmm. So, which is, which is so, so hard to balance. Like, what, 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 what was the actual, like, it was five sessions, five four-hour sessions, I think, for yeah. one out of three? Yeah, thereabouts. Which, it's five, four, twenty, like, twenty thousand for twenty hours, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. It, it's such a such a disastrous. I, I, it I, is. I don't know most of the details, and the way that she handled this was so. Yeah, I, I don't messy. recommend <laughs> looking into it because you will get more upset. But yeah, to go into just slighter details to fill in the blanks. Um, she said no, and offered was reportedly a six-figure asking price, which I think is too high. I agree. And they looked at that with their. With all due respect to the Bayonetta franchise, it has never been a good seller. Ever. Yes. It is the reason why Platinum has the reputation of, we make incredible games that no one plays. So they said no, and they offered the role instead to Jennifer Hale, who is the most high-profile union-supporting actress that you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Wonderful actress got a lot of undue harassment from this. Yeah, that Especially was, since I, her response essentially was, I cannot break NDA, but I feel as if my reputation speaks for itself, and it does. Absolutely. That was also kind of, like, Taylor's fault, saying, like, like I am the only Bayonetta, not this imposter. That wasn't the exact wording. I'm yes. being rhetorical here. But, like, it was very much of, it is me, not her, which yes. is not good language to throw onto Twitter. I understand the point of, I have established this character, I feel a deep personal connection, and I, it doesn't feel right to me to not let it continue, but like, this has been an issue, like, voice actors are imminently replaceable. Just look at Metal Gear Solid Five. Can you mm-hmm. imagine a character with more job security, theoretically, than Snake? I mean, Mario, but even that didn't work with the movie. And that's that's uh, that's a whole different debate between like character oh, yeah, acting yeah, yeah, yeah. and just styles of acting, so to speak. Like I I want to see Martinet do a full film and see his other roles in it. I know he did Dragon Ball Super. He was a villain in that, so I'd like to see that. But and anyway, anyway, yeah, no voice acting is in a rough place, and this puts it in a rougher place because response to these claims was no, that's not true. Dot dot dot. Okay, some of it is true. Okay, a lot of it is true, but it's the principle of the thing. That $4,000 role that she was offered was for a cameo. Wait, what? Yes, that 4000 number, that was her adjusted role after Jen Hale had taken over, essentially. That 4000 was an offer for her to play a cameo role in Bayo 3 so she could still be involved. <sighs> I... I... Few things grind my gears as much as this sort of rhetoric. When someone that's part of a problem essentially shoots their own movement in the foot by uh, arguing it poorly, because like this is going to make it so much harder for like these kinds of discussions to happen in the future. Yes, because like again, you you just said um one hundred fifty dollars for a movie in general. Like I I don't care what you did in that movie unless you like brought coffee. And even then, like, for an entire movie's worth of stuff, that should be a little bit more than that. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, 
I love voice acting. I truly do, and I wanted to have more respect in general. But one of my quotes on the subject as I was getting into it was from uh, Mike Pollock, the voice of Dr. Eggman, and just a brilliant voice actor overall. He's so often asked by fans to do Eggman's voice, to say things as Eggman. It's an overwhelming role. It's one of the most recognizable characters in all the video games. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, why don't you just coast off of Eggman forever? And he said, well, there's about a Sonic game released every year. And then, obviously, like additional roles and uh, additional marketing for that. And he goes, so Eggman will let me put food on the table for about five days out of the year. I have to figure out what to do with the rest of the 360. That's just the reality of voice acting. You have to keep going for it constantly. Yeah, and they're oftentimes just... For the amount of actors that are out there, it's crazy to say given how much entertainment is in this world, but there's not enough roles to support that for everybody. Yeah. It's harsh. It's an art. It's very difficult. It's a beautiful art. It's almost entirely separate from acting. Having done stage and voice work, there is a totally different set of skills that you have to tap into for both. And narration work. What I'm doing right now. Would I talk this way on stage? Probably not. Totally different type of delivery. Totally different type of timing. And ways of interacting with a crowd. And ways of getting what you want out of your audience. There's there's a skill set that has to be very carefully toned and brought out in that. Uh, anyway, Bayonetta 3 looks real good. I'm not over this. D- does this change your perspective of eventually playing it in any way? It stalled me for a bit. It makes me want to play it more. But did it change how high on the priority bracket it is for me? Not entirely. Am I a bit fatigued by it? Yeah, but if I see a cool thing in it, I'm not going to go, oh, morally, I can't do this. Because, like, I can't think of a single thing that I could consume that is morally okay in every way. Yeah, that that's very fair. If you like any media, if you are listening to us right now on the YouTube or the Spotify that is sponsored by the Google or whatever owns Spotify, that is morally compromised in some fashion. Oh, God. Media consumption what an exhausting is just... story. I know. God, I love voice acting. Uh, you want to stack on some extra depression on that? Oh, that's that's exactly what I need right now. Go for awesome. it. Awesome! Because the Zaum Creative Collective have disbanded in the most Disco Elysium death possible. This is the creative... Wait, this was Disco... No! This is the creative collective behind Disco Elysium. Oh, I, th- I didn't... I didn't realize that was... Oh, I should have realized. I've seen that so much, but... They have disbanded Damn. because their investors have kicked them out of the Zaum company. Because obviously, people who write so much about a communist philosophy aren't really down with the continued propagation of the capitalist desires of their investors. I mean, that that does sound... <laughs> exactly what they would do. And considering that one of the characters in Disco Elysium is based off of one of their angel investors, this makes it the first time that a fictional character inside of a video game has killed the creative force behind the video game. That is... <laughs> what a fascinating game. Isn't it? I... <laughs> Isn't it so incredible? 
Um, this is also a big blow as just how many other Estonian works do you know? None. Yes. I can't think of any off the top of my head. This creative collective was one of the shining lights of Estonia from just a cultural touchstone perspective. Like, even discounting Disco Elysium itself, which is the big thing that is cross-seas and whatnot, there have been novels made by it, songs. This is not just a video game company, this is literally a creative collective of people coming together to create culture for this country. I... Okay, I, I just... I know so little about Estonia. I I, I thought Likewise. it was, like, a city. No. And I just Googled it, and I was like, oh, shoot, that's a country. I, <laughs> yeah. Yep. But, like, it kind of proves the points that this was, this was a major step. It was. And now Disco Elysium 2 is going to be the most fascinating game in the world. For totally different reasons why it was going to be the most fascinating game in the world like a month and a half ago. What, was that confirmed and is it still happening if it was? I believe so. To both? Yes, I, I'm pretty sure. I know they're adapting one of the Zalm Creative Collective, um... Heads Other Works as a game as well. Okay, okay. Which I okay. believe that now Zaum the Creative Collective is suing Zaum the company for the rights to, and potentially Disco Elysium. <laughs> That's... Ugh. It's like, no, we're not indie enough. Give it, give this back. Yeah. I, I, I... On one hand, that's gotta be so hard, but on the other, I kind of love that story. It's perfectly married to what it is. Yeah. You, you, um... You predicted your own downfall perfectly and poetically. Like, literally considering the failed game studio in Disco Elysium. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking about. Like, like th you did they knew. know this would happen? Was this a plan? <laughs> but yes, uh, they originally weren't going to go into video games, but I think one of their children or grandchildren, I don't remember the exact story, was like, you know, what you're doing isn't working, but if you made it into a video game, like, people buy video games, and they're like, okay, we'll make a video game. And then they made Disco Elysium. Yeah. So yeah, I think, despite how shitty this is, I think they're probably going to be in a good spot, because if you say, yeah, we're the creative force behind Disco Elysium, I think people are going to throw money at you. Yeah, th that's that's an easy Kickstarter right there. Yeah. And obviously, I hope that you continue to get the rights and we get to free Lieutenant Kitsuragi from his prison, but... Yeah. So anyway, uh, on cheerier news... The Mario Kart Tour customer service team teaches a customer how to make a panini. I, I don't... <laughs> it's, um, one of the gliders in the game is a, called the Parapanini, and it looks like a panini. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. And then they called in and it's like, hi, let me read it verbatim. Hi, I love the design of the Parapanini glider. In fact, it looks like it would actually make a delicious sandwich. I was wondering if you could confirm the ingredients that are represented in the design of the glider. It appears to have ham on it, as well as lettuce and tomatoes with cheese. But what are those white pieces with the orange color in the middle? Are those eggs or onions? Also, what kind of bread is used? Would love to know. The response being, Dear user, thank you for your patience. Parapanini is a sandwich made with lettuce, boiled egg, tomato, cheddar cheese, and ham on a milk bread and toasted before cut into two pieces. If you would like, please try it. We're happy that you liked Parapanini, and we would appreciate if you used it for many races. Thank you for your continued support of Mario Kart Tour. 
that makes me that makes me so happy like there was probably like a whole like email chain between like the customer service trying to find okay where's the artist like what what, what did you base this, base this off of just trying to figure out the exact this was like a side project for yes. this customer service person that makes that that's just great i i love just little stories like this that just it just makes the community feel so much closer yeah it's our freaking mario kart tour i have notes here for you to talk about the dead space remake Oh, there was just a just a really neat showcase of uh, just kind of how they're upgrading the game from the original. Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to highlight one thing because it was so cool. Um, you can now kind of pick your poison in terms of how you um make your way through levels now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I mean by that, they had the, the example they showed was that you could eventually essentially divert power to essential systems to get through an area. But you did not have enough power to get all of them. So you were essentially choosing, okay, do I want to go through this horror game with extremely limited resources, with no oxygen, so putting it on a timer, or no lights? And just, that's such a cool addition to a horror game, to what was already one of the best horror games in general. That's really cool. Yeah, just get, that gives like so much replay value to it, which you didn't have before. And just being able to go like, okay, what's going to scare me most or the least? That'd be so fun to like play with friends and like have them choose for you. And just like, oh, I, I'm impressed by how well they're handling this property. And I really, really hope that it can like meet expectations. Because it seems like the team behind this, like EA is doing the best thing that EA can do and just is just leaving them alone. And they're doing so much good stuff with it. Nice. God, that was such fascinating horror design, essentially letting you choose what is scarier to you. If you have the balls to, like, go through what would scare you the most, or if you're like, okay, I know, I this is too much, I need, like, a little bit of a respite here, uh, um, oxygen, let's just get through this as quickly as possible. Exactly, it, it reminds me of, like, that sequence in Until Dawn, where you're talking to the, uh, psychologist, and he's showing you Rorschach yeah! tests, but, like, good. Not that that wasn't yeah. good, but, like... More elegant. It, it wasn't. It, it like came up like twice. Yeah. You you pick spiders. A, a single spider will crawl over a camera lens, even though you're in the middle of winter and it wouldn't be live right now. Yeah. But like this, th- it's 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 just makes me happy. Yeah. Give them a mechanical like, identity. There's no loading screens anymore. You can just go through the Ishimura. Oh. Ooh. Which Ooh. is so cool. That's going to be fascinating. Right? Like, they're building so much more of the ship than what existed before. It's neat. I like it. Nice. You know what's also neat, but you might not like it? What would that be? That would be the loud outcry of Silent Hill News. That was so much stuff. After not being around for, what what was it, 20 years? 15? Less than that, but... Less than that, but, like... Konami still makes things, apparently. Yeah. Like, uh, I think their last game that wasn't Yu-Gi-Oh! was Metal Gear Survive. Which just might have been the reason that was their last game for a while. Well, yeah, that was the proof of, can we do this without Kojima? No! Very definitively, no. But yeah, uh, the first thing that was announced for this was a remake of Silent Hill 2 by Bloober Team. Which, you know, of course, that's what they're going to remake. Yeah, obviously. Uh, wh- what are your feelings on this? Um, I I kind of want to see more of, like, how they're doing it before I make, like, a judgment call. Because, like, what made Silent Hill 2 so 
so special, so oppressive, so just the the kind of horror that both scared you, but also kind of psychologically scarred you, mm-hmm. was often in part due to like how it was designed gameplay. I just worry like by updating it, they're going to remove some of those. I I I need to see more before I'm really can get behind it. I agree, but I have every red flag up in the world right now. Uh, why why is that for you? First off, it's being developed by Bloober Team, and I haven't played their works, so please take this as, that's so cute, did a YouTuber give you that opinion? Yes. But I know that, from all I've been told, the moral of the game, the medium, is, you know what? Maybe a mentally ill person should just die. Maybe sometimes you just have to let them go. Ah... Now apply that to Silent Hill 2 and go, nah, James, you were right. Hmm. Like, this is the one that I was sure was going to come up because of course Bloober Team is going to remake it. They're the most prolific horror designer out there right now that you can hire on the cheap because they're in a part of the Eurojank section of Europe. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, they remade parts of Silent Hill 2 in the medium to prove, look, we can do it! (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, yeah. The other big reason for this is because of the following announcement, which was Return to Silent Hill, the movie based on Silent Hill 2. Ooh. And after showing trailers for that, the presenters, given a script, saying... We can only hope the game is as good as the movie. Yeah, for, uh, for a video game adaptation? Yes. We can only hope this remake of Silent Hill 2 is as okay, good as this movie based on Silent Hill 2. That's a red flag. So you want to know where the priority is? The movie. How'd you guess? Oh, no. Now, to its credit, the Silent Hill original film is really nicely shot for most of it. And then they realized that they made the movie too long and had to add a four-minute monologue to make things make sense. So I am confident that very small parts of this will be good. The whole movie as a whole will probably be bad. But there will be bits and pieces that will be cool, and we have the complimentary Silent Hill 2 video game to go out with this release! Which I am sure will not get the time it needs because it needs to coincide with the movie release! Yeah, that's not... Oh. Like, there, there's a reason we've stopped doing the movie tie-in games. They, they, they're not... Like, some, some of them were good in, like, a bad way. But, like, if you're trying to remake a cult classic, that's, that's not gonna... Like, I, I, I've heard enough YouTubers I respect praise Silent Hill 2 enough that I'm confident that if it was done well with time put into it, it would be good. Yeah. But, like, if you're... Handling a delicate subject on a time crunch? Yeah, no, it never goes well. Yeah. Uh, we haven't heard enough voice acting to know if it will be Silent Hill weird voice acting, or if it'll just be, like, voice acting. But if it's not Silent Hill weird voice acting... Ow. That's gonna hurt its tone. Silent Hill 2 is such a strong tone piece that any deviation from that tone is really gonna hurt it. It's not like Resident Evil, where you can just say okay does leon say the cool line in this part okay cool we nailed the tone (laughs) 
every little bit has to add up for Silent Hill. It's such a meticulously crafted thing. The good thing about it is that Silent Hill 2 is only good on the PlayStation 2 still. Every single other re-release it has had has been terrible. Like, this game needs a remake, but this remake could also be bad. Yes. Um, a bunch of Silent Hill 2 merch was then shown, including Silent Hill skateboards, <laughs> which lean into the line of James, I'm dying, and James going, I don't care, check out this sick flip. That's such a weird game to market like that. And also a statue of the dog ending. Okay, that's great, though. Yes. There's uh, there's like plenty of like Pyramid Head and Red Pyramid Thing merch out there, but... Then they have the dog ending statue. Yeah, I'm the, like, the, the, yeah, you got yeah, me. Yeah, the, the dog's the only one that matters there. Yeah. Um, we have a new Silent Hill game coming out, Silent Hill Townfall by Annapurna. That was the weird, just like... That was the one with the radio? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we then have Silent Hill Ascension. What do you think this game was? I don't know. Did you just think... Like, did you think it was Dead by Daylight? Be live reacted to... Uh, that that weirded me out how they decided to describe that game. Like it's it's an experience that you get to It is. It's literally an experience. It's they're going to have essentially a live stream, and then you, as the live stream audience, get to choose what happens in the live stream. And that will determine Silent Hill Canon. Yes. Which is the I don't want to, I don't know if a Twitch chat should be trusted with that. Well, yeah, they're going to pull the worst option possible. Exactly. Y you don't think that it's like, do a kickflip over Pyramid Head? They're going to pick that one. <laughs> like, he holds out the giant's knife and you grind on it and then kickflip in his face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. But then we have Silent Hill F. That was cool. This is being penned by Ryukishi07. And that is a name that excites exactly me and about a thousand other people. Because that is the writer of Higurashi no Nakukoroni and Umineko no Nakukoroni. Oh! And there is not a single human being on this planet who is better at metafiction than Ryukishi. All right, then. I have I, not... I, I've, I've never played those games, but I know Umineko's reputation from you. Mm -hmm. uh, Higurashi can be... Probably best ingested either from its visual novel form or from its uh, mid-2000s anime, which is an excellent, excellent piece of horror. It, it's it got like four slow episodes of build. Like he has a problem with build. The first two to three hours of anything he makes are the most dull, boring thing you can possibly imagine. It's all necessary setup, but he's really bad at making it interesting. But then what he does is some of the most vivid deconstructions of not just whatever genre he's going through, but of your ability as a person to understand the medium that you're consuming it through. Mm -hmm. He is unparalleled in that craft. And the fact that they're taking Silent Hill out of Silent Hill into a Japanese setting is fantastic. It gives him the full freedom that he needs to go for what is the vibe of Silent Hill and create it. This could be an awful actual video game, but I think it is impossible for it to not be interesting. I would agree with that. I, I think even just the fact of trying to move, like, a series into an entirely different time period and culture, mm -hmm. that's fascinating to me. 
like how everything's going to translate over just especially for a horror game like just trying to show off these different um psychological horrors within this different time frame Finally, we will have a contemporary to compare to such genre-defying, setting-changing masterpieces as Jason X. <laughs> I don't know, I like Jason X. <laughs> I, I mean, it was fine. But like, the, the trailer, just, just the, the red veiny vines converting people into like Last of Us fungi people. Was yes, just, God, oh. There is so nothing I love more than spider lilies. beautiful. Oh, unsettling beauty is a yes. really cool aesthetic. Yes. So yeah, of all those announcements, look forward to that one. Yes, agreed. Like, I'm going to shout very loudly at you to look at that one. Those other ones, they will probably be bad. Except maybe the one that's Townfall by Annapurna, I have no read on that one. I mean, they didn't really show anything, so. Exactly. I liked the, I liked the voice that came out of the radio. Everything else probably bad, but get the dog statue and Silent Hill F. And maybe a skateboard. Nothing <laughs> uh, screams punk culture like the psychological horror of Pyramid Head. Check out this sick deck. It reads, I miss my wife. But I was also maybe a terrible person to her. Yeah. Let's shred away my feelings. Uh, should at least be interesting. Yeah. And then, not to give Silent Hill any room to breathe, uh, Resident Evil 4 showcase less than 24 hours later. That was hilarious. Yes. How quickly they bounced that. Oh, you're doing something? Well, what if we just completely stole all the media coverage? Oh, gosh. Never since Sora smothering Cat Dog in the crib have we seen such a more aggressive. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's Resident Evil 4. It looks freaking good. Yeah. Big scary man now has a hat, so he looks more like Mr. X. Ashley looks more like a person. They changed the first house, so it's not just a shack. Now it's actual survival horror bits. Despite reporting, they did not remove that dog. Oh yeah, I remember that news story. Like, the dog that was stuck in the yeah, no. bear trap. It's like, oh, there are dog corpses. And it's like, there were always dog corpses. But that doesn't get the clickbait. You gotta have the clickbait. Have they shown Regenerators yet? I'm not sure. I don't follow Resident Evil 4 as heavily as other people. Like, I should beat it someday. I, I haven't beaten it either, but, like, I know those things are one of the freakiest enemies. Oh, yeah. Just I've ever seen. How they choose to remake those is going to be so fascinating to me. Yes. There is so much of this I'm looking forward to, because, like, this was originally handled by the RE3 team, RE3 remake team. And then they took it away from them because they went, no, you're not allowed to mess up RE4. So this is the oh. RE2 team going into the RE4. Ouch. I mean, 3 wasn't that. It was It cut messy, major but... portions of the game that were important no, I, I, for I agree. Pacing. I agree. I agree. Like the clock tower is not in the game, and that's very necessary. God. I, I do appreciate the amount of respect, just being like, okay, we need to get this right. Let's do the, let's pull back and make sure it's done. Yep. The way it should be. Yep. Capcom's going to have a great next year. I feel like Capcom's just been, you could say that for like the last three years. Yeah, they've been firing they, they so hard on everything except fighting games, and now they're fixing that. Yeah. I'm not saying that Monster Hunter was the thing that saved them but like it was the turning point just saying just saying 
Monster Hunter World. No, you are you can, right. You're you are welcome. correct. But it, didn't one of the Monster Hunter team get promoted to a higher up position on Capcom? And I think cause so. all those yeah. changes? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. It's like, okay, you, no, you, you're, you, guys, you guys are doing something right, but bring this into the rest of them the properties and they did it and it's wonderful yep I'm, I'm i'm confident they can redo marvel versus capcom now and get it right i think that depends on licensing for marvel oh right true true yeah well do, do capcom versus something else then there's, there's so just many do capcom there. versus capcom <laughs> yeah why not go for it well you tell me who outside of nintendo has a better roster of characters than capcom uh oh Uh, like you had an argument with Square until they sold IDOS. Yeah, I'm coming up blank. Yeah, you, you you got me there. They, they've got just a wide breadth of just everything. Yeah. Like how many Phoenix Wright characters is enough? And the answer is not <laughs> oh enough. Gosh. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That that alone sold me on it. Just 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 Capcom versus Capcom. Get a nice deep dive into those franchises. Yep. Let me play as a Brachidios and just punch people with exploding slime. Four times the size of every other fighter. That'd be great. Just give me Dr. Wily in his mech suit from Mega Man Soccer. Yeah. <laughs> and he pops out, turns into the alien. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bro, I want Dr. Wily in a fighting game so bad. <laughs> That'd be so good. And then just one last one, uh, Neo, the world ends with you, Shadow Drops on Steam. The day before Persona 5 Royal comes out. That is a terrible marketing decision, and the person that made that decision was mistaken. You know what? It's pretty in line with everything else about Neo, the world ends with you. Do they just not have a team for that? I don't know. I don't know. Freaking like, Harvest Stella got better marketing than that. They, they, they just want to... They're happy with the cult classic... Cult classic? Cult classic vibes of the game. And don't want to extend out of it. They're purposefully living in Persona Shadow here. Uh, but yeah, this is just my shout-out to say, that game is now widely available. I liked it. I didn't finish it. I should probably go back to it, but it's hard to motivate yourself to go back to RPGs. Yes. But, like, if it's at all your vibe, play it, or at least listen to the soundtrack. Ew. That does it for news, and then there are games coming out this month. Oh, there are so many good ones. Yep. Well, I mean, there's one I care about, th then a couple others, but, like, the one I care about is one I really care about. Oh, yeah, finally, Tactics Ogre Reborn. That's definitely what I was talking I was actually talking about Goat Simulator. Oh, uh, Goat Simulator you, 3, you, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But 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 no, God of War Ragnarok, just like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait for that game. That is going to be just deafening. I I have I know nothing so but positive feelings it. toward it. Yeah, exactly. It's gonna be so good. Yeah. Also coming out this month is Pokemon. Eh. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Foy Coco exists. I, I I feel happier about this one than I did the last one. Yeah. But not as much as I did about the one before that. I will be happy to see the new Pokemon designs because I won't pull a Yu-Gi-Oh! Poke Duel and go in blind. I'll just be like, oh yeah, these are cool designs. Yeah, I, I don't see me trying to go... That I can't play Pokemon without a fast-forward button, just trying to get through the story and trying to find all the Pokemon. Yeah. I need to know what I'm looking for. <laughs> and then probably the most interesting release of this month is Sonic Frontiers. 
yeah, I, I think interesting is the best way to describe that one. It could be anywhere from exceptional to garbage. And even then, it could be like the good kind of garbage. Exactly. This game could be anything. And you know what? I'm actually feeling positive about it. Did you see that animated thing that they did with Knuckles? I did not. Oh. I, I saw a joke video about it with the little creepy looking kid guy with the red lines all over him. Yeah, I care about that villain more than other Sonic villains in the past decade. You know what? That's fair. Just the picture made me a little intrigued. Like, yeah, you look like an anime. Get in. But yeah, there was a six minute animated video on Knuckles, and it's the best characterized Knuckles has been since 98. All right. Except maybe, okay. well, except Sonic Boom and then the movie. But like, well, yeah, but it's like Sonic Boom, like that. that's that's just a strange corner of video game adaptations that the horrible game kind of existed to empower the tv show yes <laughs> I, I love that clip of just being like they're trying to figure out how to feed a baby just like oh you can't even eat a chili dog put it in a blender and knuckles picks up the baby well if you insist <laughs> yes and it's voiced by travis voiced by travis willingham i love him yeah. so much and yeah that's stuff um anyway november you're not going to see any videos from either of us in november except this one nope. not maybe the peasant's perspective stream will happen too but like I am working very hard on many Designing for videos, which you will get to enjoy next month. Yes. Look forward to my channel on December 1st, and not any sooner. Also to reflect, how the hell is this WizPig video doing well? <laughs> yeah, y you know, it, it might just be the intimidating thumbnail for a Halloween video. It, it might be as simple as that. I think it's the thumbnail. Because that's such a garbage thumbnail, but I think it's perfect. It's the red highlight around WizPig. Oh, I think it's having the word me in all red, and then a beaten up ditty next to it. Well, the funny thing about that is, like, the little timestamp that tells how long the video is, is covering the yes, me. Yes, exactly. So it's just, you can't beat! Which is perfect. WizPig, mascot of No Nut November. You can't beat, says Wizpick. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, we can't make that the title, can we? <laughs> I might. That would be really funny. Okay. And we get so many views, too. God. Anyway, bonus <laughs> stage. Yep. Welcome to bonus stage. This is me breathing, so I don't have to talk for a second. <laughs> okay. Uh, I can go first on this one if you'd like. If if you wouldn't mind, my jaw is starting to act no up. No worries, no worries. I, I haven't talked a lot today. I haven't had much... Sorry, low energy. But, like, this, this will make up for it. I need to apologize in advance, because the notes I wrote for this are longer than not only everything else, but I think they're longer than every other, like, full set of notes for any other thing that I've talked about. Oh god, okay. I, I apologize in advance. Uh, there are a couple of things I could have brought today. Um, I have gone from reading 300 chapters of One Piece to having caught up with One Piece. Which is further than I'm in in One Piece. Yep, that was, I, maybe another day, I could talk a lot about that, but we're, we're gonna take a break from that for now. Uh, I could also bring Andor, that's the new Star Wars show. Easily the best thing that's come out of that franchise for like 10 years. 
Really? Higher it's than... actually legitimately great. Above Mando season one? I would put it, yeah. There, nice. There's no there's no force. There's no... It's, it's just political intrigue and, like, good characterization. And it's fun. I enjoy it immensely. Uh, but there's only one thing I can talk about. Being the colossal Lord of the Rings fanatic I am, I gotta talk about Amazon's The Rings of Power a high-budget TV show aimed to chronicle a previously unadapted time period of my favorite fictional series. But before I start, this show has turned into one of those topics where any discussion around it becomes painful for everyone involved. Just a kind of a, a Last Jedi sort of, just it doesn't matter if you like or dislike this, there's going to be vitriol around the conversation. I do think it's kind of the showrunner's fault that that's been the case. They've kind of exploited the binary nature of the internet to paint all criticism of the show in a very unfavorable light, which of course just caused the internet to explode and get infinitely worse, but it's the kind of conversation where everyone is just kind of being a dick. Yep, I have been there before. Hey, Masters of the Universe Revelations, how you doing? <laughs> Ah, Ridley should or shouldn't be in Smash Brothers. This is fun to talk about every single time. You guys want to talk about Naoto Shirogane? Oh, n- <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, I don't want to add that to that here. A- as easily as I could go full on Angry Joe show about this TV series, I don't consider that sort of content to be constructive. It's it's preaching to a choir, preaching to the crowd, and it makes everyone that holds your viewpoints look bad. So I just want to start this off to preface this by saying I'm going to try to have some class here, and I would like to ask any fellow Tolkien fans in the comments to do the same, unless you want to give me free engagement. I see, see, that's that's why that stuff exists. It's because it's so easy to just catapult view videos to success with that. But anyway, just just like let's 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 be civil. Yeah, let's just write in the comments how you think Naoto Shirogane would feel about this show. <laughs> Yes, you you have to. The most vivid one it's I will read out important. loud next podcast. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> All right. Now, The Rings of Power was a show that was unfortunately cursed from its very inception, as it was never fully provided what it was needed to succeed. This is a retelling of the Second Age of Middle-earth, something Tolkien rolled a ton of notes on, but this show was not allowed the rights to most of his writing. They were basically given a Cliff Notes version and told that's all you can use. It's like being asked to bake chocolate chip cookies, but only being provided like a third of the ingredients. That just doesn't work on a very fundamental level. I, I'm sorry, I'm just imagining the show Chopped, but it's just <laughs> literary. It's like, writers, check, you may use Gimli. A no, tuning but, but seriously, that's literally what this was. That's spot on. It's like, okay, you have Sauron, you have Galadriel, you have all these names. That's it. And you must incorporate the secret ingredient, a failed romance triangle. You have one hour starting oh, now. Don't, oh, don't get even started on the romance in the show. This I know nothing about further. it. This is a delight. Don't. Okay. So, so they tried to bake the cookies anyway, mm-hmm. and to their credit, some things turned out amazingly. The visuals in this show are stunning. Sweeping wide shots of colossal cities that I've daydreamed about for most of my life, and what they showed 
actually lived up to my expectations. Uh, seeing the two trees of Valinor, which were, um, how do I explain this? Um, imagine, th- this is mythology, right? Imagine mm-hmm. if the sun and the moon were trees on Earth instead of celestial bodies, and that's how the world got its light. Okay. It, they, they pulled that off, and it was incredible to see. My heart grew three sizes. Um, they showed Cause of Doom before it was ruined. You saw it as the Mines of Moria in Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, yes. But this is pre-Balrog, and it's absolutely fantastic. You got pillars upon pillars of homes. They reflect light down into the city with mirrors so plants can grow, so it's a moonlit underground cavern. And it's, it's perfect. I, I'm sorry, I'm just imagining Balrog from Street Fighter walking in and punching <laughs> all of the mirrors. <laughs> I want that. That needs to be a crossover at mm. some point. I don't care how it happens. Just put the Balrog in as a fighting game guest character in Street Fighter. I, I just need to see that duel happen. I just want to see Balrog from Street Fighter fight Gandalf. <laughs> yes. You cannot pass! Light look. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the music was pretty good as well. It, it doesn't quite hit the heights of the Lord of the Rings movies. They... They do that annoying thing where they advertise that we're bringing back the original composer of those movies, Howard Shore. But then you realize later that was just a publicity stunt. He only did the opening theme and that's it. It, it, was, it was just for the recognition. Yep. But the guy they brought on was Bear McCreary. He did God of War stuff and still does a bang up job capturing the vibes of whatever the current scene is going for. It, it's a lot more video game atmospheric rather than being a uh, command. How do I put this? It's more in the background rather than meshing with the moments, but it's still good. Yeah, what I noticed watching the Lord of the Rings films as I've watched the first two now is how they consistently use melodic motifs and mix that in with the score. Uh, Video game composition occasionally does that, but a lot of it is based around the mood of the piece. It's not about reusing the same track. It's about creating a track that fits the moment with instruments. It's... I would say it's the difference between letting instruments talk and letting instruments sing, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and, and, and it is very much in that vein here instead of what it was in The Lord of the Rings, which isn't necessarily bad, but it's it, I don't think it fits as well. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's an 8 out of 10 instead of a 10, which is still good, which is still yeah. good. Uh, almost every actor performs their heart outs. Uh, one of the dwarves during the fourth in particular steals the whole show. He's incredible. Uh, and there are a few good bits of the story. I think the friendship between Elrond and Durin is incredibly solid. It's building around a conflict where Elrond, being an immortal elf, doesn't realizing doesn't realize that disappearing out of his mortal friend's life for decades would offend him, and it requires him to rebuild that friendship. It's a solid groundwork and an interesting conflict that exists between an immortal and an immortal. And I, for the most part, enjoyed how it played out. It was really good. Nice. I also love, and I absolutely love, the original character of Adar in this series. He's a corrupted elf, one of the first tortured and twisted into an orc, who is trying to bring his fellow kind together and give them a home of their own, free from the dark servitude of, like, Sauron or Morgoth and the prejudice of other races. Mm -hmm. He's still, like, an evil dude that does evil things, but he's the kind of villain that you understand, that you root for. I I was outright cheering for him to win. Right. and his inclusion and story give the orcs of Middle-earth some more depth over the mindless devils they used to be. They were very much a literary tool for Tolkien, just to be like, this is omnipresent evil that the good must fight to overcome. But this is more like, like, it's not hard to give a one-dimensional creature depth, but they, they still do it here, and I appreciate that. Yeah. 
I, I might go so far as to say I'd want this to consider, like, Adar's existence to be considered canon. It shows what may have been the first of, like, many, many steps to the orc's redemption. Yeah. Of what it, happens when, like, the... What happens when the Mongol raiders settle down and, like, start to branch off and become the Kumans and the Tatars and, like, eventually, like, meshing into wherever they've gone? Yeah. It it's, uh, feels very similar to reasons why I like the Geth, the uh, robotic race in Mass Effect, so much. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good comparison to make. How they're handled here turns the orcs of the Lord of the Rings books and movies into a tragedy. It writes a potential story, and we're in a different time period. There might have been like a like a booming trade alliance between the men and the orcs that Sauron's influence prevented from ever happening. And I think that's really good. And that's the end of the positive things I have to say. Oh dear. So, oh gosh, where do I start? I noticed with this? that I've only heard one character name so far. So, yeah. Uh, huh. So uh, I'll start here. This first season of eight episodes is roughly nine hours long. It's about as long as the entirety of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, okay. But despite that length, I would argue that there is more story progression in a single Lord of the Rings movie, any of them, than there was in this first season in its entirety. Bro, that's rough. Two Towers was it just like a fight. Well, two fights. It was did a lot of establishing for a lot of the new... Well, they did a lot like, of establishing, of but like, of this, like, things will happen eventually. Uh, for, for example, there's a character named Isildur. Super important character. You've seen him. He cuts the ring off of Sauron's finger. Yes. This is when he was younger, which he's not supposed to be here because he was technically supposed to be born thousands of years later, but the, uh, that's a whole nother topic. He's a member of the Sea Guard in this show. His dad wants him to be in the Sea Guard. It's a strained relationship, but Isildur doesn't want to be part of the military. He wants freedom to explore Middle-earth. So he intentionally makes a mistake to get kicked off the Sea Guard, but his mistake gets his friends kicked off too, so they're mad at him. But wait! A military expedition to Middle-earth has been announced, which Isildur and his friends volunteer for, but Isildur's dad won't let him go. His friends won't help him either, but they forgive him because they let him punch him. Isildur saves a dude from an exploding boat, so someone higher up gets him on the military force to Middle-earth, and this entire thing of just being like, okay, I'm on the Sea Guard, but now I'm not, but my dad doesn't want me to be, but I'm, he's not going to let me go now. This is a solid, like, 30 minutes of screen time for all these scenes, and the end result is a big circle. It didn't need to happen to get him where he wants to go. He doesn't learn anything, he doesn't deepen his relationship with any of his friends, he doesn't grow to understand or grow further apart from his father. He starts on a military force that might go to Middle-earth, and he ends on a military force that is going to Middle-earth. And despite all of this, I don't know why he wants to go to Middle-earth in the first place! Uh, th this feels like a response to criticism culture of like, why would his dad change his mind all of the sudden? Is it just to move the plot along? Yes. So instead, we have to do this to explain why his dad would change his mind, and nothing would happen, but, you know, we have to continue onward, so we have to do this scene to establish it. Yeah, I... I it, it feels like covering up holes that didn't need to be explained, because, like, there's there's a story that you have to get to. Like, take, take this scene in Fellowship of the Ring, where Aragorn is singing about Baron and Luthien. Just, Frodo comes up to him and asks him about what he's seeing. It establishes so much. It establishes that he knows Elvish. It establishes he's been around for a long time. And it kind of 
foreshadows his relationship with Arwen. It's like a 30-second scene, and mm-hmm. it's, it brings up so much of his character. This is 30 minutes, and, like, the best I've got for a Steeldor's character is that there's, like, this ethereal woman's voice calling to him. I don't know if that's, like, the spirit of his mother, if, like, she died in Middle-earth and he wants to go there for her. Is there something supernatural going on? Does it have to do with his missing brother that should exist, but I'm not sure if he does? I, I don't know. There's just nothing here. The, the direction of the writing is heartbreaking to me. Even if it weren't attached to my favorite stories of all time, I, I'd still consider it boring because it just doesn't go anywhere. But seeing it attached to those stories is painful. Knowing what could have been instead and knowing that thanks to this show, it's going to be like several decades after it ends at minimum until another attempt can be made. Well, unless it's really bad. In which I case, mean, if they can really bad. Well, if, if they, it's really bad, they can burn the corpse really fast. Yeah, but like this is Amazon and like Bezos pride behind this, and like no, but this is, you you just don't like this because you're racist. Not which has been the the response to the entire criticism of the show. Which like I don't want to discredit. There has been some of that, but the showrunners mm-hmm. have painted it as if that's the only thing. If, that if is, you criticize it, you are a racist. Yes, exactly. I, I don't want to harp on the character of the people running this show too much, but they have very much. Imagine you're applying at a five-star restaurant. I don't know why I keep using cooking metaphors here. But imagine you're trying to apply at a five-star restaurant when you just barely started cooking. That's kind of what happened here. Mm. Like, the best credits these guys have to their name was Star Trek Beyond, the worst Star Trek show that's come out recently. Oh, I see. And they gave Lord of the Rings to them, which I will never understand. I I can sympathize with them. They're in over their heads. But at the same time, like, I can see that these people do not have the experience to be, like, talking on social media for a beloved property. Yeah. It's it's, it's just a disaster every interview I see. (sighs) To get back to Rings of Power, I've heard a common complaint of criticism for this show is that people should just look at this as its own thing. don't, Don't consider Tolkien's works. This is trying to be something new. And even if I were capable of doing that, which I, I, I just can't. I'm sorry. That, that's, that was never going to happen with me. This show won't let me. Because it covers every reference to the books and the movies with, like, neon signs. We can't just say that we're sailing to Numenor. We have to, we have to tease their destination. Have someone ask where we're going. Have them say, see for yourself. We're almost there. Have another character ask what destination it is. The dude still doesn't have an answer. Only for the character to ask an entirely different character who gives the longest explanation possible before finally name-dropping Numenor. And this happens all the time in this show. It happens for the wizards, it happens for Sauron, it happens for the rings of power themselves. They don't just say like, oh, we have to make rings. It's, we, we, we wanted to make a crown out of Mithril, but we decided to make something smaller. Uh, what is it? Oh, you're gonna have to see for yourself. Like, this is verbatim how they're describing things in this show. Yeah. I'm just thinking, like, imagine if I told you to start watching wrestling right now. And my response to you going, well, what happened before is just, oh, see for yourself. No, just consider it its own thing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's false suspense based off of, like, how do I put this, off of, like, knowing what's about to happen? But that's not something you need to do if you just, if you just write well. Right. 
I, I, an example I pull from is um, uh, the Battle of Blackwater from Game of Thrones, back when it was still good. I don't know if you know this, but it was like when they were, uh, there's a huge army attacking like the main capital of, Games of Thro- Game of Thrones, uh-huh. and they fought it off by like sending a boat filled with wire, wildfire fire out and exploding it. Right. You knew the entire, every single bit of that plan the whole way through, and it was still engaging because you could feel the tension of every single moment. You knew it was about to happen, but it was just, it was juicy. Yes. Here, you know what's going to happen, and they're just prolonging the moment until you get that revelation. And it's an eight-hour show! I feel like pacing is such a lost art in the modern day. It, it really, really is. Sorry, I, I'm starting to get emotional. I'm, I'm, I'm going to calm down for a second. I, I do genuinely want to have more constructive stuff here. Like, I, I, I'd throw another example out as the Balrog. Like, everybody knows what's going to happen to cause a doom. So the Balrog appears. It's this, it's this epic shot of, like, a leaf drifting down, lands in front of it, the leaf burns up, and the Balrog roars. And that's the only part of the show that the Balrog shows up in. It's just, the, the show is like, it's a bunch of carrots on sticks. They're like dangling in front of you, but not letting you grab. Yeah, I could see that. It, it, it's all teasing and no substance. If you want to know more, you have to wait for the next season, I guess? Yeah. Or the next episode? It's very clearly designed to be a television show in the era of social media. And I mean that in a way that it's trying to dangle mysteries over people's heads for them to argue about on just whatever platform they choose Mm -hmm. to prop up engagements. Who is this mysterious man that fell from the stars? What does this strange symbol mean? What purpose does this evil sword have in the enemy's plans? Which I I understand that. But the problem with this approach is that with how TV is structured, that means you can't reveal those answers until the very end. And once you get that reveal... Every misleading scene from before becomes worthless upon rewatching it because now you know the answer. And the show is painfully stretching that time with those misleading scenes to prolong the time it takes to reveal it. And that just murders the pacing at every turn. Mm. And like that, that's not to say that like having mysteries is bad. Like uh, the Matrix has an excellent mystery. Is Neo the one? And the buildup and payoff for that answer is extremely satisfying. Yes. But that mystery is like the core of that story. Everything is written around it, and it's written very well. But in this show, like, the, sh- the mysteries are everything, and some of them aren't even that impressive. Like, he- here's an example. There's a sword hilt in this show that grows to a full blade whenever you feed it blood. It's treated as an extremely evil artifact, one that is the key to the evil orc's plans. And they give it the same sort of allure that the One Ring has. It's addicting with its power. Uh, again, trying to reference what came before in a very obvious way. Like, you even have, like, I think it's word for word, just like the same kind of allure, I can't let it go, sort of thing that I think it was yeah. Bilbo that said it. Yes. Anyway, anyway. But when the bad guys get the sword, the only thing it ends up doing is stabbing into a slot, turning it, and opening a dam. I think there's oh, cool. well over an hour of buildup for that moment, but it's just a glorified key. Yo, they invented the keyblade. They did it. <laughs> but it, it fulfills the same purpose that a handful of orcs with pickaxes could have, or like a single troll. And like, to, to be fair to the show, the dam opens up and water travels through a bunch of tunnels that the orcs had dug, and it carries it to pour into Mount Doom, which hits the lava and causes it to erupt. So there is, like, a theatrical payoff to the MacGuffin, but when you take back a step back and look at all the pieces in play, 
It's just kind of absurd. Wait, wait. So they dug the tunnels themselves. They weren't pre-existing yes. tunnels. So it they was dug themselves. So it wasn't designed to make the mountain erupt. It was just designed because water. Yes, it it is a very convoluted set of story beats that only makes sense because that was the way it was written. It is a railroaded cause of events, and the railroad is like pinballing between different locations. Huh. And, like, I I feel like they wrote the moments of the water flowing into the volcano first and kind of just had to write backwards from that point. And, and you can do that. It's just a matter of make it consistent with your lore. Make it work. Make, make the individual pieces make sense to elevate that moment. I just want to throw this out as, like, an alternative. You could have had, like, a dark ritual where the sword is intrinsically linked to the mountain. And the more blood that's fed to it, the angrier the mountain gets until it explodes. Mm-hmm. Or, or you could just get rid of the sword altogether and just have them break the dam. Like, going back to that Game of Thrones example. Like, you could reveal that that's their plan very early on, and that would create tension throughout the entirety of the rest of those scenes. Because you know what they're trying to do. You know that it's going to work because you've seen the, the movies. Like it, uh, since the the sword is what it all revolves around, none of the hour of footage around it can have any real significance because it's all revolving revolving around this single singular reveal, and you can't reveal the enemy's plans beforehand because then Twitter wouldn't have something to talk about. It's a very uh, just so frustrating writing style that just doesn't work in this universe, and like that's everything in this show. Replace the sword with Sauron, or the rings, or Mithril, or the wizard that fell from the sky. The plot is constantly teasing and backing away from those reveals because the reveal is the only real thing it has going for it. And I, 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 I could keep going both with praise and criticism. I mm-hmm. throw another positive out. I think the Harfoot's traveling song, there, there was a nice like zoom back into the map and kind of just show different locations with like crossfitting back into wherever they were at that location. It was a nice traveling song that was one of the most Tolkien things I've ever seen. I think you would have loved to see that. <laughs> oh, very probably. Uh, I enjoyed parts of the eventual reveal of who Sauron is. Half of it was written like he was a Disney villain, being like, oh, I'm manipulating you and you're going to because I'm respecting you when nobody else is. <laughs> but the other half was like really solid, showing that like, yes, I know I messed up. I want to do better. Which is, like, actually the lore of Sauron. Like, he was event- initially trying to, like, repent for his stuff. Maybe it's just out of fear of getting, like, backlash. But, like, once Morgoth died, that, that is legitimately what he tried to do. Mm-hmm. There are, like, individual moments of greatness. But it's in a sea of frivolity and cheap theater. The sense of scale is all out of whack. The giant island city of Numenor sending a measly 300 troops to fight the defying battle for power over the Southlands, which is... Two villages of around 80 people total, facing up against what they think is their greatest foe in the land. But it should be safe to send their queen along with them, right? Like, it's just, they, they keep trying to establish stakes, but they're not following through with them. And it just gets, the tone is all over the place. Mm. Uh, characterization comes second to whatever a scene demands. Uh, the elf Galadriel is giving a hot-headed speech demanding Numenor provide her aid in one moment, then giving a wise speech about humility in the next, raving about genocide against the orcs in her next speech after that, then goes on to have a speech about how the, ang- how the anger of war is a bad thing that you shouldn't ha- hold in your heart. It's 
just... I don't know if it's like being written by different people, but I, I, it's almost to a point that things feel out of order at times. So would you say this is better or worse written than a Persona game? Worse. Easy. Oh, damn. Because that's what I go to when I see, wow, you really had writers in different rooms for these scenes, huh? Oh, for sure. But I, I, I think there's at least a, a solid characterization in the Persona games that like you can at least latch onto the characters. Yes. I can't remember half of the characters' names in this show. I, but I think... I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. I'll end with this. The, the thing that upsets me most here is the, uh, the precedent that this has set for adapting Tolkien's work moving forward. This is a show about the man who created multiple functional languages on his own, where those languages are barely ever spoken. What else? It wants to have a more diverse cast. It heavily advertised that in its lead-up. But instead of expanding the world outwards, exploring the cultures of Harad, which is the Africa equivalent, and Rune, which is kind of just everything east of Europe... It could have dived into the creative goldmine of what elven and dwarven races might be like when combined with non-European cultures. What are Egyptian dwarves like? What's the elven equivalent of a nomadic civilization? Instead, in the entirety of the elven race shown here, there is one black elf, and he's the only one called the racial slur to his face, a racial slur that did not exist in Middle-earth prior to this show. He is the only elf revealed to have a mundane work job as a farmer, and he gets enslaved! Oh, great! I... Th there was a huge hubbub over just the diverse casting of this show, which, like, looking back on that now, I'm kind of a little disgusted in the showrunners. Like, they were just trying to describe, like, yeah, this is what we think the world should look like. We wanted this to be more like modern times. But seeing what the result of that was, I'm, I'm kind of disturbed. And, and to be clear, like, outside of the elves, it's a little better. Like, there's, there's like, three black dwarves. The humans are, like, pretty culturally diverse, as well as the Harfoots, the hobbits. But, like, it, it's a, it's an uncomfortable, like, you took the fairest race, and you just, the only diverse person you had there was just really not treated well. And I, it, it, it feels yucky. Delightful. That's what I wanted to hear. I, I'm sure. I, it has taken established, beloved concepts and characters and completely rewritten them, sometimes for mystery boxes or sometimes just for no purpose. The dwarven name Durin is religious to the dwarves. It's believed a real child should only be named it if he is the reincarnation of the original dwarven king Durin. It's like, it's a big deal. There can mm -hmm. only be seven of them, and the seventh is like Jesus for right. them. But in this show, both the Dwarven King and his son are named Durin, which that, that's, that's, that, that's not how that works. That's not how reincarnation works. Well, works, but like, you know what I mean. Yeah. And I know that's a frivolous thing to get worked up about, but at the same time, why just not name one of them a different name? There are people who have dedicated their lives to studying and celebrating Tolkien's mythology, as it is mythology. It was designed to be mythology for the English people. And that's such an easy correction to make. There's dozens of flubs like that throughout the entire show, and the show just doesn't care. Just doesn't care about the mythology it's adapting. And that's genuinely heartbreaking to me. Had all the money in the world, and it just it just couldn't do that. Yeah. I, I don't want to end on the Luna. Not like that. Um. Oh, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know. Um... If any people out there are like, if you like Tolkien's work or want to figure out why people love it so much, 
Instead of watching this show, I want to give my highest recommendation to the YouTube channel Tolkien Untangled. Writes incredible video essays filled with a deep love of this mythology, and recently made a series about how he would adapt the Second Age into a television series the way The Rings of Power is doing. Ooh, okay. It's not made to, like, critique or make fun of The Rings of Power. He specifically made it before the show was out so it wouldn't color his opinion. It was a simple challenge for himself to see if he could adapt that age with the limitations that were placed on Amazon when making the show. And what he outlines is so much better. <laughs> it's, it's, like, legitimately, like... Like, it's only, like, it's like a, basically a slideshow with him narrating over it, but I was hooked the entire time because he has such a deep understanding of the themes of the sh of the, what Tolkien valued. Mm -hmm. Like, if anybody is curious about Rings of Power, just watch that instead. You'll get a lot more content, and it takes a lot less time to get through it. Noted. So yeah, Tolkien Untangled, his second age adaptation. All That's right. all I got in Rings of Power. It is the most exhausting show I've ever you watched. You sure? You sure? You you want to go I, for a round two? I I could talk so much. You have I, I might just like script out and just put a slideshow of just me talking on the channel just to have an outlet for this. You know that's I fair. I think that would be hours long if I did though. That's understandable. Just be one of those videos like response to Rings of Power, eighteen hours. Just 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 random ramble. I just yeah. like okay. Oh, yeah, this is this is the elf heaven they're trying to portray here, but they're the scene is a bunch of kids bullying a kid. Where's the tonality here? Where's the? I, I, I could get so pedantic. <laughs> I could get so bad. <laughs> oh, delightful. Ah, uh, okay. I talked long enough. What do you got? Alrighty. So uh, last month I mentioned that I watched the first season of Cobra Kai. Oh, we talking this? Yeah, All I right. have since watched. All five seasons of Cobra Kai and the first three Karate Kid movies. So please consider this a full retrospective of the Karate Kid, except for the Hilary Swank movie and the Jane Smith movie and the animated cartoon. Okay. But outside of those three outliers that people don't actually care about, this is the Karate Kid. So have you seen the Karate Kid? It was a very big movie from my childhood. Only the first one. I never really saw the other two. Uh, I've seen fine. the first three seasons of Cobra Kai, I think. Oh, I haven't gotten nice. around to four or five yet, but I, I, I will be able to follow with some of this. Excellent. So what is so great about the original Karate Kid movie is that it truly is, and all marketing points to that, creating a unique friendship between Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. That is the bond, that is the crux that allows that movie to work. We get to see Daniel's wants and desires as a simple, bratty, 80s teenage kid. He is so 80s, he is such an actual prick in this movie. Kind of love him. <laughs> but he's trying to figure it out, he's trying to do it the right way. Mr. Miyagi, we get to slowly develop that character, we get to slowly unravel, but there's always this gentleness, always this kindness to the character. And you get to see, with J Daniel's brashness, something also awakens in Mr. Miyagi. This very, very reclusive individual finds something that he wants to put his passion into again. And that allows him to come out of his shell, be a good person, get that wonderful scene where they bond over him, giving him the car, and they just yell bonsai at each other. It's great! And that is the heart of what makes Karate Kid so good. It is... Having two people 
from two different walks of life, two different generations even, bonding over a common element that one gets to introduce to the other so that the other can feel the same empowerment as the master. It is a student-teacher relationship, but it is also one of friends, of combining generations, and of becoming more than yourself through essentially art and the ability to find empowerment within yourself and finding the balance between taking that empowerment and using it for aggression or taking it for the building up of yourself and to help others. It's a beautiful, it's a simple, simple movie, but it is so elegant and so smart in its delivery. And there's there's a reason why it's a classic. Absolutely, absolutely. The first season of Cobra Kai capitalizes on this perfectly. The bond between Miguel and the bond between Johnny Lawrence, the child villain of Karate Kid 1, who has become a washed-up has-been, but still knows karate because that was the one thing that he could cling to before his life fell apart, and teaching this kid karate in the stupidest ways possible. Just the most absolutely <laughs> dumb, violent ways possible, but still making it work, and the kid finding empowerment and coming out of his shell, and... The thing that I love about Cobra Kai Season 1 is how very clearly in the now, in the 2010s, that it was for every character except for Johnny, who is an 80s villain who is trying to redeem himself the entire time, and he will not let go of that. He is a character who was written in a different decade. He has no sense of you know, self-awareness. He has no wit to him. He is just bluntly a villain character from the 80s who has been aged up and time-warped into the 2010s and has said, adapt. And he goes, nah, that's pussy shit. <laughs> and just the ability to watch both characters develop and take the good as well as the bad from each other. You get moments of hesitation from Johnny that he wouldn't have before that he has to balance. And you get moments of aggression from Miguel that he also has to balance. And just that bond, that crux is done so impeccably well. And then is mirrored by bringing back Daniel to guide Johnny's son, who is highly estranged from Johnny. So you have a parallel bond. And then they meet in the karate tournament because of course they fucking do. And it's great! It's a parallel of different philosophies, but still coming to the same realization. That first season of Cobra Kai Season 1 is absolutely fabulous. I completely agree. It is then so, so obvious when they get the Netflix money. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. at that point... It becomes the most CW show I have seen in a long time. It becomes, oh, the teen drama. They're bullying each other and we have to express it through karate. Karate has become the demon that controls the valley. We have to go back to our roots and reflect on ourselves so that we can develop things. And it, it stops becoming a show about developing different karate techniques. It stops becoming, oh, learn the wax on, wax off and use it in a practical application. Use the drowning in a pool technique so that your kicks become better. And then he becomes really good at kicks. And it becomes, they will introduce one technique 
and they will use the one technique once in the finale, and 90% of the rest of it is either teen drama, or we brought back this character from the original movies and you are expected to really enjoy. Haha, they are back. I don't know how many fucking times in this show Johnny and Daniel have come together and been like, Oh no, we have different philosophies, but you know what? We're not so different after all, but we still have our differences. How can we possibly coexist? It's such circular writing. I, I've lost track of how many times people have like swapped sides. Like, wh- where even is Johnny's son now? Uh, at I, the end of season five? I, I, you can feel free to spoil it. I, I have no idea. Independent, but kind of with both Johnny and Daniel. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, like, I don't want to disparage the acting at all. These guys are doing a great job acting. Uh, Ralph Macchio is just has this infectious energy about him. He always has, even as Daniel in the original movies. But just he has this go-getter energy that makes you want to root for him, even when he is very clearly the villain of this episode. Mm-hmm. And then John- oh. I go back and forth on a lot of characters in the show. Johnny, never. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. He is one of the best teacher characters, because you get a combination of the drunken master, the absolute schlub, and then the heart that Miyagi had. And, like, admittedly going through it, season one, excellent. Season two, not that great. Season three, Miguel and Johnny have a great arc. Everything else I don't like, except, like, Daniel's trip to Japan, which was a good homage to Karate Kid 2. Season 4 then introduces Terry Silver. Terry Silver is the villain from Karate Kid 3. He is not a character. He is a fucking Captain Planet villain. In Karate Kid 3, he has a scene where he is in a bathtub on a phone saying, It is okay. Dump the toxic waste in Borneo. I have to focus on torturing this child. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Yes! He is a rich billionaire who is a friend of John Kreese, who sees that John Kreese's life has gone to hell. So he goes, it's okay, buddy. I'm going to send you on a trip. My toxic waste company will fuel everything, and I will make sure that I psychologically destroy Daniel LaRusso. Okay, okay. And he does this by walking onto scenes while Daniel is struggling because Mr. Miyagi won't teach him karate to defend a championship that means nothing. So he hires an evil karate teenager to put Daniel in a life-or-death situation where Daniel has to agree to enter the tournament, or else they will drop a girl off a cliff. (laughs) And also he wrecks the bonsai shop that he was making with Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi is like, no, non-aggression. And Daniel's like, fuck that. So Terry Silver comes and is like, hey, I'm a karate master. And anyway, I want to apologize. I was friends with John Kreese and he died recently. So I wanted to pay my respects and apologize. Do you want to learn karate from me right now? Like, here, here's here's a book on some techniques. You come to me. And then he's like, okay, Daniel, this is my technique. It's the Quicksilver method. And then he hands him a wooden training dummy with thick wooden boards, and it's like, go ahead, punch it. He's like, it'll break my hand. He's like, 
Yeah. But if you do it really hard, you'll break their ribs. Punch it. <laughs> and he turns him into an evil Cobra Kai by making him bleed his own fingers and making him afraid of himself and trying to ruin his relationship with Mr. Miyagi. This is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. It is so, so stupid. Much. <laughs> uh, and like the rest of Karate Kid 3 isn't great, but Terry Silver is so fantastic. And he comes back in Cobra Kai Season 4. Is he as ridiculous and good here? That's the best part. Because Season oh, 4 is not that great. Like, I feel that all of the seasons ending in a giant, ugly karate fight is the stupidest shit. Like, all of it always feels unearned. It just feels like they're fighting for no reason so they can set up the next season of, and now Robbie is on the run from the police and Miguel is in the hospital. You better tune in for the next season of Cobra Kai. Terry is like trying to get his life turned around. He is like, oh, yes, I'm now a philanthropic billionaire. Please enjoy these tofu skewers. And the entire season is Crease going to try to break him down and get the old Terry back. And he succeeds. And you get this slow turn of Terry, like, going, maybe I shouldn't, because Crease is a piece of shit, as you're well aware. Yes, yes. Like, you will not get a much more despicable human being than John Crease. And so Terry has to play second fiddle to that, because he is always sort of simmering in the background. Crease is trying to bring that out of him again. And then... The end of season four is another tournament, which is a much better format than Giant Karate Fight. Because mm. then you get to see Cobra Kai take on Miyagi-Do Eagle Fang or whatever the fuck. And there's like a format to it that works, that happens very well. And at this point, Kreese is like, nah, play by the rules. You can kick her ass. You can do it. So you're starting to see a softening of Kreese, which I definitely disagree with. I think that he's the he's an evil bastard. He deserves to rot. Yes. Absolutely. You see this one moment of weakness, and then Terry decides, okay, I'm going to become the main villain now. And he frames John Kreese for attempted murder that he himself did. And then season oh. five, he is the main villain, and he decides, okay, so it didn't work last time with Danny Boy. I'm going to destroy his marriage and make him destroy his own life. And then... He hires fucking Shadaloo to teach his kids. There is literally a guy with scars and an eye patch that he flies in to be a sensei. <laughs> and like, he is much older now. He is full gray hair, silver fox. And he combines just that menace of just the old man manipulator with the feeling of, nah, he could still kick your ass and break your bones, though. He takes, like, the local karate thug bully, and he elevates it and says, okay, now the villain's level is Heihachi Mishima. His performance is absolutely extraordinary. And the way that he elevates the show makes the giant brawl at the end of season five the most earned, the most faithful, and one of the most compelling fights I have seen. It is delightful. Nice. So it took them four tries, but they finally managed to get it with season five. If I had to rank the seasons, five, one. It beats one. 
just barely. One is really, really good, but five manages to marry all of the Johnny plot lines. It gives resolution to Daniel. They have one last we disagree, but at this point, Johnny has his shit together and Daniel is falling apart. So it's earned. Nice. They figure out how to work it. They smooth over and find resolutions to Miguel and Johnny's son, whose name I am blanking on despite saying it multiple times. Uh, oh, oh, Robbie. oh, gosh. Thank you. <laughs> it's fucking Robbie. They actually get to hash out that relationship and work. The only parts that weigh it down are Daniel's children. I still don't like Sam that much. And any time that Anthony is on screen, I hurt. Oh, that stupid brat. Yeah, yeah he yeah, gets more prominence fair. in season four. It's painful. It's like Dimitri's arc, but worse. <laughs> but God, God, like, no, no offense to the actor playing John Kreese. He does an exceptional job, and I actually really love his over-the-top backstory. That is fantastic. <laughs> the pit of snakes. Yes. <laughs> but Terry fucking Silver, my guy. Oh. They make you work for it. Season four takes a while to get there. But when it gets going, and when it's the latter half of season four all the way through season five, that is some dumb shit, and it is so much fun. And yet Excellent. it still keeps the heart of the series. It loses it somewhere in the middle, but it manages to pick itself back up. And I will always appreciate it for that. And it never gets worse than season three. Okay, good. So I'm already past the low point. You are past it's, the it's low a, point. I I don't know if I would have gone back to that show without hearing this, but like, okay, okay. Terry Silver is worth watching it for. Alrighty, I will keep that in mind. And like, Johnny's always going to be good. Daniel's good like half yeah. the time. It's very clear that they run out of the ability to do some plot lines. Like, they go to Mexico for two episodes and then completely resolve it. And it feels like the biggest waste of time, but they had the season four cliffhanger that they had to resolve. <laughs> but when they actually manage to create a cohesive story, which I feel they do by the end of season five, like they could end the series here. But there is a big cliffhanger on it that obviously they could continue from and probably will. Probably. It's, it's, it's too successful of a yeah. series. But just like, gosh, the Karate Kid is simple, but it's great. Absolutely. I have a brother named Daniel, and we still to this day call him Danielson. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that pans out. But yeah, that's nice. Uh, was a surreal feeling hearing one of my students, who's like in the 10-11 range, go, Oh yeah, uh, I went to his Tory from Cobra Kai. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, that's not a real thing that you should- Okay. Okay, sure. That's not sure. a show for you, but you know what? Considering know. how many people watch Supernatural before they should have, about your age, I get it. Of all the characters, Tori. Okay, she gets better. Okay, she gets okay. Okay, yeah. I'm not. I'm. I'm not caught up yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, season three, Tori. I get it. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a story that frustratingly reflects on itself. Cobra Kai itself is, mm -hmm. but it's finally found a payoff that is incredibly worthy. Excellent. Like I just watched it as a matter of course. Of this is really easy to binge. Yeah, but by season five, I was like. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, ruin his marriage, Terry. Yeah, make him destroy his own bonsai trees. Yeah! <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, that th that is karate. Nice! Comments!
Okay, I just got a few today. All right. I'm going to start... This one intrigued me. I kind of want to hear your thoughts on it. Okay. From uh, Travis Nakahira. What is an activity you think would work really well gamified? For example, Power Wash Simulator simulating the simple satisfaction of cleaning a dirty porch, or Who's Your Daddy? The stealthiness around against another player of a baby to kill themselves. Just what is a any kind of activity that would be fun as a video game? Goofing off at your office and trying not to get caught by your boss. All I can think of on hearing that, I'm pretty sure there was a Raving Rabbits minigame that was that exact thing. I'm sure, but I want you to get creative with it. I want there to be like a Tony Hawk point system of you have set up the hidden dartboard and your amount of risk based on when you can do it, combined with shooting hoops into the trash can, combined with playing Galaga. Just trying to set up the most ridiculous, like, Rube Goldberg machine. To yes. Make okay, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you here. I'm with you here. Yes. Create the most elaborate way to stave off boredom possible without getting fired, including bribing other employees. Okay, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with you on this one. That and then, like, delightful. combine it with, like, a papers, please system of you can't spend too much of your <laughs> <laughs> income. Or be like, if you don't have enough joy in your life, your wife will leave you. So balance your money situation and your happiness at work. Let's see. My, my gut reaction was making pharmaceuticals. Just kind of like that, what was that, two-point hospital? Something like that? Yeah. Kind of take the absurdity of, like, different diseases. I'm, well, I guess I'm, I'm thinking more, like, causing them, though. Now, yeah. what's... What, ah. Oh, this is tricky. I... I, I, my, my brain keeps going to the Untitled Goose game, and just that kind of absurdity. I feel like that... Oh, I've got it. I've got it. Creating clickbait headlines that don't get you fired. Yeah! <laughs> like, intentionally well. stir up fake drama, but not to the point where you get cancelled. And there's, like, a randomness <laughs> element to how effective it is, based on the airnet's mood. Well, that makes me want, like, a CEO simulator of just making the most absurd ridiculous like let's let's buy this platform for 46 billion dollars and then transform it into something completely new J just just a mogul media stupid like satirically designed could be absolutely hilarious another game dev simulator but instead of a boring regular protagonist it is literally captain crunch <laughs> oh you know i i have it I, I have one now i have one i want a marketing simulator that has like ties to real world elements where you have to like come up with the stupidest way possible to market like whatever brand you choose mm -hmm. and like you have like twitch integration that voice kind of like um jackbox party okay but yeah. more um uh, more directed gotcha bonus points if like they actually tie it into actually existing franchises and they're able to convince them like hey if we give you this much money will you let us actually design an advertisement for you yes presenting the mcrib mcrib face <laughs> No, no, McDonald's can never have advertising campaigns that involve the word face ever again. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's fair. Uh, let's see. I'll grab this one because I like Ghibli movies. Mooseman asks, what Studio Ghibli movie do you think could work as a video game? Uh, yeah, Porco Rosso. Like, as much as I want to go, oh, yeah, Howl's Moving Castle or Princess Mononoke, no, those don't... I feel like there's something special about the story being told, and I feel like gamifying that 
takes away from it. So I have to go for pure action and adventure fare, like Porco Rosso, like uh, Castle of Cagliostro, which I don't know if it's Ghibli or just Miyazaki, but like a good loop on the third game I would kill for. Ooh, that would be good. I feel like, in terms of like Princess Mononoke or, um, what was the other one you said? How? Uh, how? I feel like if something in the world might work, I wouldn't necessarily want to touch the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mooseman mentions a uh, My Neighbor Totoro farming sim. Oh, he says that one of us mentioned a My Neighbor Totoro farming sim. Oh, yeah. Which is like, much like the Stardew Valley kind of thing centered around that would obviously be pretty great. Yeah, and then you can get enough funds to cure your mom's cancer. Um, I'd like a chill Kiki's delivery service. I feel like that conflicts with the stress of delivery service. Okay, well, then make it wacky, but just like... Set it after the movie of her just going, just like, she's seated. I think a Kiki Flight Sim that's just peaceful, like, only the sense of Microsoft Flight Simulator, but just Ghibli backgrounds. Oh, and maybe, if you could, like, like go between different Ghibli worlds yes. while doing that? Yes, but Ooh, it's just God, visitation. It's just exist in this world. Similar, I wouldn't mind, like, a Ponyo boating sim in that way. I could see that, how, yeah. How that was flooded, you just seen a bunch of prehistoric fisher underneath you yeah that'd be very soothing yeah ghibli is a very relaxing vibe yeah except I, for when it's absolutely horrible but most of the time it's just yeah. a relaxing vibe i think that travel always fits ghibli best yes uh from chuckles channel pretty simple comment are there any classic nintendo games you want to see the uprising treatment on yeah have you ever heard of a character called Sukapon from Joy Mech Fight? <laughs> I mean, aside from the obvious. <laughs> well, well, if you're going to give uprising me... Uprising treatments as more of like a taking the like setting and breathing fresh life in a completely different way. If I wanted another Joy Mech Fight game, I'd want Joy Mech Fight 2. Just modernized. I think this is more like genre shift. Okay. All right. My answer has always been Ice Climbers. I want the, um, the It Takes Two guy. To make an Ice Climbers game? I feel like that just works. That, yeah, that'd be good. For a pure revival, like, as much as we all vaunt about a uh, Captain Falcon character action game, like, Mock Rider is right there, and you could make a really good vehicle combat game out of that. Oh! That's a very good- I forgot that existed. Um, I would also love to see Star Tropics adapted to be a kid of today, exploring islands and oh, whatnot. Gosh. As opposed to a 90s kid? Just a 2020s kid? Oh, no. Gotta, gotta make a TikTok for every other area you venture into. Yeah, dab on the Southern Cross. <laughs> That's an even I worse am... podcast title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd be interested to see another approach to the themes of Mother. That's dangerous to touch for obvious reasons. It's got a huge, like expectation behind it mm -hmm. but i feel like nintendo's very quiet very serious storytelling can be amazing when they're just allowed to do that i don't, I don't know i'd just be interested to see like what else they could do there i don't have a specific like genre in mind do you remember when nintendo had that J japanese exclusive wii game called captain rainbow that brought back a bunch yes. of old nintendo properties in like a weird environment Brutal's Vibrator, yes, I remember that. Yeah. I would like 
Fuck you for bringing that up. I would like <laughs> a Wrecking Crew game in, like, the style of Blast Core, and the cast is Foreman Spike and a bunch of other old Nintendo arcade characters. Just sort of as a touchstone on the temporary nature of time and being able to create something only to immediately destroy it. Just give him and, like, Donkey Kong Jr. something to do as Forgotten Relics of the Past. Okay, yeah. I'm feeling that. Yeah. I think you could bring back a lot of old guys who have not seen any sort of action and just, like, go out with, like, one big blaze of glory. We can't make much. We're pretty simple. But we like blowing things up. Doing things straightforward. Uh, one more, just because I just remembered that this existed. Uh, Sin and Punishment. Mm. I-, I love the vibe of Sin and Punishment. I think socket just gun-lightsaber combo, great. I love a more, like, give that to Platinum Games. And just see what they can do with it. Yeah. You know what? Here, let me give you one that you won't get from anyone else. Geist okay. as a mystery game. Interesting. Okay. Put in a crpg disco elysium style but you're a fucking ghost and it's not murdered sold suspect it's not that but just revive the most weirdly abandoned nintendo ip that never got anywhere damn you could do a lot with eternal darkness oh shoot i completely forgot that exists yeah no i'm changing all my answers to eternal darkness (laughs) there's just so much you could do there yeah the first thing, make the magic system not take 80 fucking years to do anything. <laughs> Parga, Seltar, Seltar. Would, would it be Eternal Darkness anymore? Yes. No one cares about that. They care about weird effects that you can add in YouTube After Effects. And then you scream, this isn't happening. And Pius goes, I was your daddy. <laughs> okay, let's grab... Uh, Justin continues to cheat the system by offering up Kirby questions. Okay. I, I respect it. With the new Mecha copyability, what new copyability would you want Kirby to get in the future? And while we're at it, what is your current favorite ability right now? Uh, Justin's favorite is Beetle. It is also mine. I love Beetle. Um, Beetle is so fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a simple bitch. I like Suplex. It's that but less, but it's called Suplex. And I like... I like that it limits your combat options. To essentially be Inhale Plus, as opposed to Beetle, which is Sword, but also Suplex. I also really love Poison. I think that's a fantastic evolution of the Water ability. Yes. Let's see, as for new powers, I've always vaunted about a Rubber ability. I mean, that's kinda what Mouthful Mode is. Well, not really, that's more. Well, yeah, but like, sort of just a pinball Kirby around, like an evolution of the Ball ability... But with more Luffy. Oh, I, I'm, I'm feeling it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just like being able to just like springy springy all over the place. And yeah, knock yourself and people around. And also Luffy. I've kind of always wanted a, like, I know the cooking thing exists in the game, but I'd like like an actual proper, like full ability sets for it. That's not just tough people in the frying pan. Right. You get that yeah, a little like with uh, Kawasaki in Star yeah, Allies, be, be, but... Being playable, but, like... Yeah. I, I just feel like it fits Kirby so well. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Uh, I'd like a medieval Kirby. Give him a knight's hat. I don't know how you would diversify... Oh, you know, yes, I do. Hit, make him a cavalier. Ooh. This, this is... This is Armored Horse Kirby. <laughs> just, just another new take on the, um... 
kind of the wheel, but make it a a slower, kind of like momentum-building wrecking ball sort of deal. I guess Lancer might be a better way to put it. Or Jouster, something like that. Give me Vampire Kirby and all of his attacks are references <laughs> to Dracula. Yes. Oh, that's really good. That's really good. Like, you can see it's just with the, the hair and the cape, and that's all you need. And it, it fits him so well. Mm-hmm. He already absorbs everything around him. That's just another way of doing it. If there was ever, like, a dark Kirby, like, genuinely evil... Well, I know that's dark matter, but... Yeah, it's Marks. I mean, he's kind of a vampire in general. I... No, but okay. I misremember. I've played Superstar, like, once. I just remember Marks having the teeth. <laughs> yes, he does have teeth. Good observation. <laughs> I mean, he's shaped like a bat. There's, it wasn't... He's a ball. <laughs> he has the crystal wings. They're like weird rainbow flashy things. And they're like made of sticks. Fair enough, fair enough. Oh, you know what would be fun? Uh, cartoon Kirby. Oh, that'd be cool. Just just kind of like build off of car- cartoon hijinks. Yeah. Be I able could to see like that. draw in a wall and a, for a hole to appear or uh, drop anvils on people's heads. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Do you, did you play Skullgirls at all? A little bit. Oh. My favorite move to this day is uh, Peacock's Death from Above, wherein if you hold the button down, you'll get an increasingly larger shadow that will drop onto the opponent. And like, (laughs) if it starts, it'll be if you just do it really quickly, it'll home onto the opponent's area and it'll be like a flower pot. And then it goes up to like baby grand piano and elephant. Nice. So that, yes, that good I'd like Cowboy Kirby. I know we have Whip, but like ever since Kirby's Adventure, we have Whip and Ranger, but just like a fusion of the two. Yes. I I want that thing, the full da da da, and then he shoots you with a gun. That is a boxing glove. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I I just want like a, the feeling of quick draw on Kirby. Okay, yeah. Or don't no, make a that. full Samurai Kirby ability. Ooh. And just give him oh, that'd be fucking right in Paris. Do it. I don't care. Just do it. And then he just picks up dirt and throws sand in your face to differentiate him from sword. I don't know. I'd love a wizard. Give him the Mickey Mouse hat and a wand. Yeah, just I do the, wizardy things. Yeah, the closest to that is what, Doctor? Doctor, kinda? I, I mean, just in effects. But. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously there's the various elemental stuff, but like, combine that together for like a super. Yeah, more than just magic, which is just parlor tricks. Yeah. Let me cast Ragnarok. With Kirby. I have one more for the road. Um, this is an interesting t- comment. Uh, just from Jack King. So Nintendo essentially has its own amusement park now. What franchise, I'll, I'll extend this to like any video game franchise, would you like to see get a ride or attraction, and how would you do it? I am very simple. I like swings. Do one of those giant swings where it swings you around the center, and in the center is Wispy Woods. Oh, call it the spring oh, breeze swings. Adorable. Oh, if they don't do that, that 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 works so well. I would ride that for hours. <laughs> I like swings a lot. <laughs> oh, there's a pretty easy uh, roller coaster with the warp star. Yeah, but I feel like if you're doing roller coasters, you do Donkey Kong and then you do Captain Falcon. I'd real I'd really love a Metroid Laser Tag Arena. Oh, that'd be fun. I would really love that. That'd be so cool. Yes. Uh, the the recent uh, Disneyland uh, expansion into Star Wars, that multi 
gunner function pilot ride that I forget the Ooh, name yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but Star Fox is like so obvious and so easy, but so good. For sure, for sure. And by easy, I mean, no, that's really complicated, but God, that would be fun. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I would love like uh, just some janky Tower of Terror slash like roller coaster ride that's just supposed to scare you, but instead of like a terror thing it's just hades like make it the inside of hades and he's just <laughs> mocking you the entire time oh that'd be delightful uh i also think like there's just a lot you could do with pikmin just downsizing you and just doing really anything yeah roller coaster some chill like nature thing i don't know it could just be an area you go through yeah like, you ever go to those dinosaur parks just that with bulborbs Damn, now I just want a Kid Icarus stage show. Like, halfway through, <laughs> Hades eats you. <laughs> I can already see, like, the roller coaster just being Hades' open mouth and just oh, going. Oh, God. Like the whale from Disneyland, but it's Hades. Yes, exactly. That'd be so good. Oh, you know what would be neat? I think that with technology getting better... You could legit have an actual turf war. Just put on glass, because yeah, if you program it right, and then just paint an area before another person does. Oh, I could see that. Like, in, like Splatoon style. Yeah. Like, considering how they're already gamifying Mario Kart for that. Yeah. And with how big Splatoon is now, like, it might as well. Yeah. Oh, d just one more to wrap things up. I In every, like, Nintendo amusement park thing... I just want there to be, like, one little corner that is just completely dedicated to Wii Fit Yoga. <laughs> like, that is all its purpose is there. Oh, and, and of course, for me, the, la the last thing I need is just, simply put, in a dark corner of it, barely any real estate for it, Waluigi's Taco Stand. <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah. I don't know if they'd ever do it, but I'd be so happy. I would laugh. Everyone would. Why won't you do the thing that makes me happy, Nintendo? Why won't you? Ah, maybe someday. We'll see you next yeah. month. Farewell, everyone. Oh, wait, no. Uh, uh, thanks to, like, Spotify and stuff. Important YouTube things. Uh, pff, hashtag design dorks, comments, all that stuff. Okay, now bye.